Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. How do you do, everyone? My name is... And this is the Bloody Disgusting Network. The succeeding show will fill you with dread. Have a good time. Give me what I want and I'll go away. You wouldn't think there was a big storm coming, would you? Trouble don't cross the reach, ain't that why we live here? Still, they say this one's gonna be something special. Born in sin, come on in. My God. That's all right, Robbie. She's waiting for you in hell. We couldn't kill him. I don't think he's human. What could he possibly want? He's the devil! Don't let him near me. What do you want, Lenoge? Friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, all in the name of oh, all in the name of oh. Greetings, constant listeners. I have some news. A storm's a coming. And no, I'm not talking about the one adult film actress Stormy Daniels promised on SNL a few years back. That one's for you, Justo. But rather the storm of the century. In 1999, ABC debuted its latest Stephen King miniseries, The Twist. This one wasn't based on a pre-existing book. Storm of the Century was an idea King cooked up in late 1996 and one he waffled between turning into a book or a movie before seeing the check ABC was offering him and saying, (laughs) yes, please. Uh, So let's introduce our panel as we discuss this miniseries today. Justin, say hello and tell us, did you watch Storm of the Century when it first aired? Hey, this is Justin Juniper Hills Gerber, and I did. 
I watched this live on, I guess it was on a Sunday, a Monday, and a Thursday. And Thursday. So Very bizarre. It, it was weird. I know. Yeah. It was, you figure it'd be like a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, maybe. Um, but I, I've always enjoyed this, actually. And I, I have some pretty much good praise to say about it, to be honest with you, because I haven't watched it since 1999. Same. Yeah. Uh, I liked it then. And compared to some of this other stuff we've had to rewatch, specifically... <laughs> Specifically, certain miniseries that I believe Anna, myself, and Randall were on. Yeah, desperation, uh, this, baby. I mean, uh, glowing praise in comparison. <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about this. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Uh, Anna, say hello and tell us, did you watch Storm of the Century when it first aired? This is Anna Marie, Anna Marie Cox Cox. <laughs> it's a little subtle for people, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, I did. It was funny watching the uh, YouTube version uh, over the week. I remembered how excited I was for this. Yeah, same. I just re- remember like the counting down the days till I was going to get to watch the Stephen King movie on TV. You know, not have to beg my parents to to give me permission to go to the theater or whatever. Although my parents were pretty lenient pretty about cool. that stuff, which is why I grew up so twisted. Uh, <laughs> And Thank yeah, you. I'm looking forward to talking about it. There, there's, I mean, definitely some flaws. Sure, yeah, <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> um, but the acting is really good, and I thought really like drove, um, you know, made made this stand the test of time in a way that other adaptations have not. Let's totally. Say. Mac, how about you? Did you watch this with your older brother? Yeah, this is Wolfman Machias Gerber, <laughs> and uh, I. I had to have watched it with you, Justin, right? Because sure. we were in the if you thick of it, it at this point. And I definitely watched it live as it as it, or as we probably recorded it on our old VHS and watched it. You watched it on separate TVs in your own house. Yeah, I refused <laughs> yeah. to watch anything with anybody, um, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I was 18. And, you know? uh, <laughs> I remember really liking it at the time. And I also think it was just so dark that I kind of don't know how it really sat with me after the fact. I just wasn't expecting that, um, it, which is funny because, you know, if you watch any other Stephen King stories, or I've probably seen a few other Stephen King stories, but, you know, what what was the the miniseries I saw before this was probably what? Well, The it? Shining was the Shining. about, I think The Shining was a year before, yeah. But both of those kind of have like happy endings kind of, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah. th- those versions. So I was just kind of like blown away by this. But uh, yeah, I did really like it. And I, I just remember always remembering every single time I saw Colm Fior pop up in a movie or uh, I heard he was going to be in something, I was always like, yes. Yeah. And it was always some like side role or, you know, he's a villain in Thor, but you wouldn't know. He has just so much makeup on and they distort his voice in it. You're yeah, like, he's like a dark elf is in it the dark point world, to having right? him in there? Yeah. No, he's in no, the first he's in the first one. Oh, the first he's one? The ice giant. Yeah. Okay. You would never know. But you never know. I, you, I forgot. <laughs> you might need to reintroduce me because I just did the math. And actually, I think the thing that I was excited about because I didn't have to go to the theater might have been it because this definitely came out when I was like 18 or 19. Okay. Or older. Mm-hmm. Then, so, uh, then Anna, introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Do this again. <laughs> teasing, teasing every every intro. Hopefully, you have a new nickname too. <laughs> yeah, this is Anna Marie, Anna Marie Cox Cox, <laughs> and Anna Marie Lanoche. <laughs> yes, and um, I really enjoyed this. I'll keep it at that. I, I remember being excited for it when it came out. Uh, I also remember having like a weird. Um, spooky crush on Colm Pure. Is that you say his name? Can't yeah, blame Colm, you. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I have I mean, one on him he's... now. 
he's he's terrifying <laughs> but also incredibly attractive yeah like like so many of the men that i'm into um and now wait now I'm, are you were you attracted to to human form calm or <laughs> or, or evil gnome form. evil gnome I would, I would say <laughs> human form, but he's still pretty terrifying i mean i yeah. i think he rings a lot out of what is a, a part with when you think about it not many lines um, oh yeah and yeah. and several of the lines are repetitions of previous lines <laughs> so uh i mean i think he's really magnetic um i think the the there is probably some underrated acting here. I don't remember walking away from this when it aired thinking, wow, that's some damn fine acting. But watching it again, I think that that's really what lifted it up. Oh, totally. But watching it again, that's that's really what makes it uh, stand the test of time. Agreed. It, it doesn't seem that dated, I have to say. I yeah, know. I agree. You know, I'll, I, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, Randall. Please tell me if I am. No, but that's fine. I feel like we, we've been kind of unfairly or maybe justifiably <laughs> maligning some recent horror that that insists upon these feel-good endings yeah, yeah even if they're like really dismal and sad like i don't know you know the haunting of hill house or haunting of Bly manor they kind of you know avoid the punch in the gut ending because there's some type of a hopeful oh well at least the family's back together or yeah she's well, still like by a her side quality to it yeah. there is i don't know how to describe it but there was this was kind of like a refreshing exercise in hopelessness yeah it was yeah. like so fucking <laughs> depressing yeah. I, but I was like i, I, I was welcoming so it i was like just yes make me feel uneasy make me feel unnerved don't make me feel like oh what a warm, and fuzzy people are ending. not good. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Are not good after all, <laughs> like, you, you know, know, because the whole thing's set up in a way that you think that this town is going to indeed rally together and get, get that good old small town, you know, power and and overcome evil. And even at the end, when Mike's giving that really rousing speech, you, I feel like in so many other projects, yes, the town would band, would band together and figure something out. Maybe Mike would sacrifice himself and die in the process, but no. They don't go with him. <laughs> and, no. And it's no, the like worst no case one. scenario. They all you know? live in like misery no for the rest of their Literally lives. no yeah. one else. Like yeah. he's the only yeah. person. And, well, and I'm also, to talking about that this was scarier to me than I remember TV being. Agreed. In mm. that mm. era. Yeah. Like there's some genuinely creepy shit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was a, it was a really fun rewatch. I don't think I would have rewatched it if it hadn't been for the show, so... Thanks, yeah, I honestly, know, like I said, yeah. I hadn't watched it either. I hadn't, I had yeah. no real drive. You know, it's a mini series. It's not like you can just throw on a ninety-minute movie. So I wasn't going to just say, "I think I'm going to fire up four-hour Storm of the Century." You know, <laughs> but I'm happy right. I'm on this episode, so I might not have ever even gone back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was looking forward to with this one. And it kind of, you know, I knew it was coming up in sort of our our chronological journey with King. But King posted, I think it was probably about a year ago or um, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight months ago. He posted a link to the YouTube version that we watched because he's like, I love Storm of the Century and it's not streaming anywhere. It's not readily available unless you own the DVD. So he's like, here's a YouTube link and I approve of this. Like, please watch it this way. <laughs> right. And uh, I included it in our newsletter that we have with the podcast. And and so I, I kept it bookmarked and then I was happy happy when uh we came along and it was still up because you know so often those kinds of rips are usually uh plucked but um but yeah let's talk a little bit in um about the history of this in a section we call the dairy public library mike hammond if you see excuse me sir do you have prince albert in a can you do well you better let the poor guy out (laughs) 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 mike hammond (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out! Last chance, don't you? Get out! Get out! Watch it, Excuse me, man. So, uh, this aired on February 14th, 15th, and 18th of 1999. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, this was also... Uh, <laughs> Jesus. The, the script was published uh, by Pocket Books on February 1st. Uh, if that date is correct, which is what I saw online, it's interesting because one of the things King said, I watched the, well, I watched the majority of the commentary track that he did for this on the DVD. It's very oh. long. So I'm going to admit that I didn't watch the entire thing, but, uh, but he, he basically said one of the things that drew him to doing an original project as a miniseries was that nobody would know the ending, uh, because he, you know, he hinted at the stand, the shining and desperation or Oh, wait, I think Desperation came after this. Yeah, it did, because this aired in yeah. 98. So, but I think with uh, the the stand and the shining, he was he was witnessing a lot of people measuring those miniseries against the ones against the books that they were based on. And I think with The Shining, especially, he probably, you know, I think for him, he really loves the Mick Garris version because it hews a lot closer to his book. And even in the commentary I listened to, which was recorded in 99, he takes shots at the Kubrick one, says it's not scary because for him, he just doesn't, he doesn't like the fact that Jack's entire narrative arc was plucked from that. And so I think that he was kind of perhaps becoming tired of the comparison between the two. So he was really excited to have something where people didn't know the ending. But if, but if they released the book two weeks early, which is what I was reading, then people probably did know the ending. But uh, but at least uh, there was no distinction between what was published and what was on screen. Um, I feel so, like the same year, didn't the same thing happen with Phantom Menace? Wasn't the novelization released before the movie was am i wrong about that oh, Matt, i don't know i'm not that. a nerd i don't watch little like baby <laughs> baby sci-fi stuff definitely had the novelization but i can't remember if i got it after no. before you know Please what i read the novelization of i read the novelization of the good son starring macaulay culkin no <laughs> random it's talking about baby stuff little kitty stuff it was <laughs> the on, kids in that movie he kills a bull a pit bull with a screw gun it was uh oh, it was on the the bookshelf of my English teacher. And I just read it during class one day. Okay. Anyways, uh, ABC spent $35 million on this, uh, or at least that's the rumored amount, uh, mostly quote unquote in, in creating the mother of all storms. Uh, good job. <laughs> I was actually going to ask, like, Man. It, it looks like it was maybe even filmed on location. That's some realistic blizzard. I like, think they yeah. shot it in Toronto, um, which, but yeah, I think overall though, it looks great. And yeah, I mean, it's funny because, you know, I got so used to watching Mick Garris, uh, miniseries and don't get me wrong we love mick garris on this podcast we're big fans of the stan miniseries but we've also struggled i think with some of mick garris's other projects including the shining miniseries and the desperation miniseries and the bag of bones miniseries so um so we love him but i think it was like refreshing to see somebody else involved and the thing is mm. when king finds someone he likes he sticks with them because craig baxley who did this one also would go on to do rose red and he also did uh some kingdom hospital which uh yeah. is something we'll get to eventually so he stayed in the king universe after this and we'll talk about why because you know king is a fan of this but i have some quotes about that so uh yeah king talked a little bit in the commentary about where this story came from and it was traditionally pretty boring as most king origin stories are uh he basically was like you know i thought of a snowstorm um and i <laughs> 
Well, he was thinking about this one that happened that happened to Boston. And then he's like, but what if it happened on a small island? And everyone was totally cut off from the world. But then you introduce a stranger and the stranger wants something. Um, And so that was kind of where he began with this story. And then he was very into sort of the first murder uh, that happens where Mm. Andre Lenoche kills this older woman. And King says he wanted the murder to be extremely violent and brutal as possible. And he compared it to... Uh, Hitchcock Psycho. He wanted because this isn't really like a hyper violent uh, series. There are a lot of deaths, but again, it's like network TV. We don't see a lot, but um, but I think he wanted sort of the big burst of violence to be at the beginning and uh, to sort of shock people into thinking they were going to watch a bloodbath, and then what they saw was something a little bit different. But it is funny because they talk a lot about how brutally the older woman was murdered in this. Like they say her eye, mm-hmm. her eyes fell out of her head and there's blood all over the place. And, uh, but we never really see that because it was ABC. And I think that's interesting because it makes me think a lot of about the novel that King was writing of this before he decided to make it into a series. I can very much envision the chapter he wrote about the older woman in her house, sort of like, you know, doing her thing and then just how violent he would have described her actual murder. Uh, it's it's This is one of those sto- stories when I watched it, I kept thinking about how the prose would look on page. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the dialogue, but the actual prose, because I feel like, especially with an ensemble as big as this, I mean, every character, I was like, I would love to hear their inner monologue, uh, you know, because I feel like these are characters that he knows mm-hmm. very well. Um, so he apparently personally selected Craig Baxley to direct this after viewing a movie called The Twilight Man, which came, which Baxley directed in 1996. This movie stars the great Richard Math. Wait, not Richard Matheson. Who's the guy who starred in, um, God, why am I blanking? The Jim Belushi college movie. Oh, um, Tim, Tim Matheson. Tim Matheson from Animal House. Uh, John Belushi. Uh, oh, it's a Jim Belushi. I was like, <laughs> what if Jim Belushi was in? Was in uh, oh, Animal God. House T.O.O. or something? <laughs> what if he was in this? Uh, I would Animal love House that. 2000. Yes. Oh, God, don't, don't, don't wish it into existence. <laughs> I would love if if Jim Belushi played Tim Daly's part in this. That would be great. Oh he's just like, we got to get this guy out of here. Um, so so Kane's got a dog hat on. <laughs> so like he can see it for some reason. I, <laughs> yeah, I like the kids. <laughs> uh, Craig Baxley directed a 1996 TV movie called Twilight Man in which Tim Matheson and the great Dean Stockwell star in a Ooh, story yeah. of uh, intrigue. And um, I don't know. That's the thing about Craig Baxley. He directed the movie Action Jackson starring the great Carl Weathers. Uh, Mm -hmm. Otherwise, he mostly did a lot of TV movies before he did this. Uh, And yeah, I mean, this is just one of those where King saw something in him and he he went with it and God bless him. So, uh, yeah. So it's interesting that he would go on to work with King a lot. But again, King was very, very excited about this, as were most critics at the time. I'm going to read a few reviews here. Variety said, uh, translating King's signature showdowns, usually a battle of good versus evil, common man versus some hideous force, has been a problem on previous King TV projects. But director Craig Baxley avoids that pitfall by keeping close rein on the special effects team and leaving most of the burden up to Fior, save for a few hair-raising moments. Which I would agree with. I, mm. I think that <laughs> I think every time they dip into the special effects, we're like, no, no. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's like, come back, come back. No. Like, but just, let us, just 
Yeah. I was but, leaving to her imagination the kids flying. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's the opposite of scary. <laughs> that's, right. that's something that maybe didn't age great, the, the effects. But like, I mean, they're so, they are so few and far between, fortunately. It really is just kind of a, a showcase for the the actors for the most part agreed. And that was Thankfully. sort of a running theme I saw in the uh, reviews was basically like, at least there weren't that many special effects. Cause I think people <laughs> were a little put off by the stuff in the stand and the stuff in the shining. So, um, Oh, and the Tommy knockers, which I believe came out before this. Uh, oh, it came out years before this. Yeah. I, I, just, I, 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 I won't, I won't have you sully. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everything. We no, all know I'm the Tommy Knocker's book yes. defender. Are you a Tommy Knocker's <laughs> serious also, defender? I am also a defender oh, no, no, of the no. books, but I'd be interested to hear a defense of the TV series. Yes. Yeah, I don't think that's there's no Mac, defense. Do you have a one I'm just teasing. Of it? I'm just teasing. I just, you know, we we don't get to talk about the T Knox enough and well, I love I mean, Jimmy Smith, this, but not this even miniseries is like the dead zone compared to the Tommy Knocker's miniseries, if we're being totally honest. So the Orlando mm-hmm. Sentinel said the Stephen King miniseries on ABC have underwhelmed me. I have found the sh- I found the shining tarnished the Langoliers laughable. Oh, yeah, the Langoliers, the Langoliers oh. laughable, the stand rickety, it exhausting and the Tommyknockers. Oh, so knockable storm of the century. However, wowed me. It is the most effective King miniseries the network has presented. And this genuinely unsettling, unsettling epic good and evil face off on a small main island pounded by a nor'easter in 1989. So, you know what's amazing, Randall? What's up? I was living in Orlando, and I guarantee I read that. Oh, interesting. Time. Were yeah. you a big Sentinel fan? I was a big Sentinel fan. Uh, Jay Boyar was the film critic for the Orlando Sentinel, replaced by somebody named Roger Moore. Ah, not, the Bond. No, not Mr. Bond. Mr. Bond. It was a different Roger Moore. And But I, I guarantee I read that when it was uh, when uh, during the press release or the press. I guess we should call you the Sentinel. I'd be more than happy to be the <laughs> Sentinel. Uh Entertainment Weekly says, in its crucial concluding moments, Storm of the Century goes slack, but there was almost no way to make the awful choice that King sets up pay off in a manner that will satisfy every viewer. This is another thing I've noticed is people were really not happy about the bummer ending. Uh, <laughs> it continues. We benefit We benefit from the fact that King is a TV dabbler. He doesn't know you're not supposed to chew over interesting ethical dilemmas about personal responsibility in a piece of February sweeps programming. King wants to scare your pants off while also removing your moral blinders. And he succeeds. A minus. Uh, New York Times said best of all is Comfiore's insinuating understated performance is Linoge, mm-hmm. whose unblinking eyes and seductive voice make his words all the more terrifying. Mr. King offers playful clues about Linoge, some meaningful and others red herrings. Linoge's odd name suggests a hidden meaning. He looks a bit like Constable Anderson. He makes a point of talking to Anderson's little boy. They do, however, uh, slam the the series padded and talky third act that was another thing i saw a lot mm. a lot of a lot of uh uh yeah anger at that third part you know it's four and a half hours yeah i feel like anything could be cut down from four and a half hours. and people also had to wait uh like three days to get it so yeah, how true. dare they uh washington post the great tom shales man we quoted him i believe on our desperation episode his his review is particularly scathing oh, that's right and let's say he uh let's just say he hasn't come around to king in the in the <laughs> in the years intervening in this although this was before that but he says stephen king's storm oh, yeah. of the century differs from most of king's past abc miniseries in one significant way the pesky old hack actually wrote it that is yeah. King himself oh, did God. the script. This guy, this guy's great. This guy he's, hates King. He's he hates such King. an asshole, yeah. and I love it. 
Uh, I miss I miss columnists like this. I feel like we don't have them anymore. That is, King himself did the script, not just a book or a short story or a memo or a sentence fragment that was then handed to some other writer to adapt for TV. Does that make the miniseries noticeably better than the others, or at least a little less punishingly dreadful? The writing seems more writerly, perhaps a smidge more sophisticated. And here or there, one hears a catchy turn of phrase, but basically it's the same old slogging, soggy spookery, derivative and uninspired, protracted beyond all sense of decency. And then later in the piece, it says a dreadful fate awaits those who tune in Storm of the Century 2. Dreadful, dull and monstrous in its stupefying banality. More power to those who don't bother tuning in. Their lives will be richer for it. King will be richer, of course, no matter what. So, man, this guy hates Stephen King. It's kind of hilarious. Hey, I've got a great uh, piece of criticism on Tom Shales. What is it? This is from the Ford's Media Guide, 500, 1994. <laughs> Forget the middle ground. Shells either loves it or hates it. And his reviews of TV shows and personalities are often unabashed paroxysms, paroxysms of that love or hate. Like the medium he, like the medium he covers, Shells turns out fast-paced and amusing fare that often lacks depth. <laughs> He's a fabulist. Give him credit. Uh, you know, him. This, I, I guess, obviously, we'll talk about this more, but this... It, it, I mean, King's screenplays are not usually very good, right? Agreed. Like, let's just... Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but I, I, it is interesting that this is so much better than any of those. Yeah. Like, I, I, and, you know what I... And I, I, I do think it's because he's not adapting, because, you know, he has his darlings when mm-hmm. he adapts. The Shining's the best like, example. Like, he can't right? let go... He cannot let go of, like, the turns of phrase or, like, the meaningful, like, bits of, you know, business. Yeah. Right. And here there's actually so much more showing and not telling. Yeah, I know? agree. I it's 100% true. agree. It's funny because when you think about like, I mean, he's writing what he knows, but usually he does do that. So, but I think you're right. I think because you kind of have to cut out, you can't even pretend to go into the long description of something when you're writing mm-hmm. for TV. So I think, yeah, it kind of worked as advantage. I feel like wish kind of wish he did a little bit more of this under the gun but (laughs) well you know i think along those lines he was writing he was creating a new story out of a lot of pieces that he had already played with which is little tall (laughs) like little tall island which was yes that is the king like style yeah (laughs) but i think that works to its advantage here because he's just so intimately familiar with sort of every single piece of what he's toying with here because like little tall island is clearly a place he was drawn to this is a small island off the coast of maine it was the setting for dolores claiborne also the Mm -hmm. setting for several short stories including the reach which uh, a lot of people love it's a great story and um but then there's also some very needful things aspect of this the idea of like the dark lives the dark sorted lives of small town people and the and the stranger who kind of infiltrates and then begins to sort of uh uh seed descent uh, throughout the whole thing and um and then yeah and i think there's and then obviously just the main setting um the idea of the town uh divisions kind of coursing through the town this small community and uh the various people in power becoming corrupted in their own ways the idea of seeing ghosts from your past that are manifesting i think a lot about the the stuff with robbie and his mother and the way that mm. you know that's the only character that kind of manifests as a ghost like you know he actually sees his dead mother and those things that's so much like a classic king kind of trope and uh so yeah i think he was drawing a lot 
on a, upon a lot of his strengths when he made this. And I think that speaks to it. And I think also perhaps one of the things that makes it good. And I, I mean, this is perhaps a flawed thesis because Sleepwalkers was also born from nothing. And that's mm. a horrible yeah, that's, script. Yeah, well, that's I was going to ask where this falls in the King Cocaine timeline. Oh, well, it's this is well after. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that's sometimes a useful metric mm-hmm. to find whether where, whether or not what what period of sobriety he was. Oh, he's of sound mind. Well, he was here. sober since yeah. 86, 87. Right? Well, he had was the it... relapse in like the 90s. Well, it had like, to do with right his with... uh yeah, with his car, car accident, accident, right? Yeah. yeah. This was okay, right, that was like right that. after this, right? That wasn't that right after yeah. this, I think. Yeah. We're approaching yeah. Yeah. it because yeah. Kingdom Hospital like was part of his like was a little bit based on his experience in the car accident, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah that'll be sort certain. of the next big sea change, I think. I think we we experienced some of the pot of sea change when we kind of entered into sober king territory. And now we're going to enter post-accident territory mm. soon, which will be fun. Uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, yeah. <laughs> fun in quotes. And so uh, well, where is Sleepwalkers in the sober king? Territory? Oh, That's Sleepwalkers, so I think. Oh, he's, happened. he's clean and sober. Yeah, he was clean written. and sober, oh, with that, but it was okay. he was pretty freshly clean and sober. Although that is very much okay. a cocaine uh, kind of king vibe. Uh, vibe that i get from that i will say please go maybe listen the copyright to our- the first draft is like 1986 or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. It's like print it mike and i's episode on that is as loony as the movie itself so please go listen to that if you haven't but finish this episode first uh king himself was a huge fan of storm of the century he said this is my absolute favorite of all of them he uh said of all the various uh tv miniseries back in uh, last year when The Stand premiered on CBS All Access, he did an interview with the New York Times. He said, I loved Colm Fiore's Lanoge and I love the story. They filmed it in Southwest Harbor in Maine. Oh, I guess they'd film in Maine. I know certain, I think some exteriors were filmed in Toronto uh, in the wintertime and they got the snow. So you get the sense of this awesome blizzard and the people trapped in it. They did a terrific job. Uh, mm-hmm. He said something similar in 2015 with the LA Review of Books. He said, my favorite thing of mine is Storm of the Century, which I thought really succeeded. It's very much like a Friedrich Duramont play called The Visit. Uh, the Visit's a play I read when I was in college. It's about, uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis. It's a very good play. Uh, an enormously wealthy older woman returns to her former hometown with a dreadful bargain. She wants the townspeople to kill the man who got her pregnant, then jilted her. In exchange, she will provide enough money to revitalize the decrepit town. The townspeople Ooh. eventually agree. So. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for <laughs> spoiler alert for the visit for the visit Friedrich Durenmatz. <laughs> no visit necessary. The visit, no visit necessary. So, uh, so yeah, I think, um, I think so. Essentially, I think this story, if you're unfamiliar, which I doubt you are, if you're listening to this, is about you know Little Tall Island, about 400 person community, about 200 people stay on the island, about half the population when a gigantic storm threatens the island. Uh, but along with the storm comes this mysterious man, Andre Lanoge, played by Comfior, who kills this woman. He ends up locked up in the middle of the storm in a prison cell and basically uh, proves himself to be. Um, a puppeteer of sorts. He's able to uh, sow discord from within, from behind the prison cell. He says, give me what I want and I'll go away as his recurring refrain, which I think is funny because he never tells anybody what he yeah, wants. That's, <laughs> big, that's a, something of a problem for me in, the, in, in, in this, I have to say, as much as I liked it. I was like, you probably could have gotten what you wanted a lot faster. Yeah, <laughs> I think though, I think that, oh, him, I think he... well, I'll save it for the character parts. I'll save it for the character mm, right. parts. Okay. As to why I think yeah, I, I understand. Because I, I hear what you're, you're saying. And, like, I was like, it's giving 10 minutes long. And I went, no, I get it. I, I was like, I get it. I think I get it. I think I get it. 
Yeah, so uh No, I understand, but it is still kind of funny. Oh, I'm with you, Anna. It's <laughs> yes. it was something I, I had never told them and at the end when they keep saying, Well, what is it? He's like, Oh, I haven't I haven't told you. Um, oh it, <laughs> Oh Jesus. I need a kid. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned that back at the cell. I wanted one of your children. Um I probably should have said that earlier. Oh, so sorry yeah, about everybody that killed. <laughs> yeah. So um so yeah. Or they just keep guessing. That was the other yeah. thing. Like, what, could you want this? And it just says like yeah. it, as they keep guessing, it just, it just says red uh, screen played by Stephen King, directed by Fred Armisen. Yeah, <laughs> slowly fades away. Ooh, wow, the dark ending and mysterious. What was it? So yeah, so essentially, uh, havoc is wreaked throughout this town, and a lot of visions are had about basically the threat that he poses is the idea of annihilating their entire community, making them all disappear in the same manner as uh, Roanoke. You know, the the lost colony, as they say, which. Um, that's the one he keeps referencing, which I think is interesting because is he implying that he was who made the people disappear from Roanoke? I think so. Or is he yeah. saying that he was a child in Roanoke who was recruited in the oh, same way? No, I think he did disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the idea theory, that he was Randall. a little that he I was like a little pilgrim idea, child. But... Well, if he's like, my name is Croatan. Who knows Croatan? Do you guys know the re- also because he sort of implies he's much older than even that, right? Yeah. Oh like, yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, I'm pretty sure well, he, is he talks about. Legion, I think he talks about like the fall of Atlantis into the into Africa. Yeah. You know, the, oh yeah, see off Africa. It's like all these things that make him seem very. Well, let's just really, say really old. old school. Okay, <laughs> he's OG. I, we he's again, Old Testament. So many things we'll talk about later, but I. I find it very interesting that the implication there is that the people of Roanoke did not make the deal. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That I will say this, this is obviously a tangent, obviously that whole Roanoke thing is still so fascinating to me. I know there's kind of been some revelations over the years about, well, they just kind of actually gradually broke apart and went their own ways, but just the whole Croatan thing. And I, I'm still so fascinated by that of all the mysteries yeah. we've got. I, I meant to Randall, do some. Were you going to say something about that? Because I, I started looking it up right now because someone told me recently that it was debunked. Like they found out what happened. Yeah, they, yeah that's what I'm saying. But but everything my... that I'm looking at now says they don't still really know. They have they, there's some. That's what I'm saying. There's some, some idea theory of that's very popular now, but I believe I there's some ar- archaeological evidence to suggest that the colony kind of got absorbed into the indigenous people's um, community. Yes, that's, that was around yes. there. That they've they, done DNA they left... DNA testing of like and found you know whatever alleles that belong to Caucasians and stuff like what you would right. expect. But I think the fascinating thing is that there's no of... note left behind. Like just everything was abandoned, and that many people. That's the interesting thing to me. Even if they all did go off, it's still fascinating that they all would go off and 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 in that direction. Hello. Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? 
Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. Well, I think the most, the thing that I read that, <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying this is correct. TMZ I'm out. saying there <laughs> was, yeah, I read this on, on, uh, uh, TMZ. on, a. Uh, PatriotEagle.org or something. Snopes.com. No, uh, no um, there was historically an island called Croton um, yeah. that was nearby. Uh, it's now called Hatteras Island. But I, I guess like I, I read some descriptions that were just like, hey, you dummies. Like it just meant they were going to Croton Island or whatever. But uh, so yeah, the it's na- not that mysterious. Yeah, so it's not that But I don't think they found. Right. But then they never found those people there. Or even right. Even if they did or whatever. You know, there's no. Wouldn't an entire community at some points that story gotten back to them over, you know, at some no, point? No, well, because the think about the lines of communications. communications. No, this is also remember when it took like, you know, years and years and years between visits. Like there's like a decade True. between yeah. like when you would see people. Yeah. So yeah. what I think is incredible is it didn't happen more often, if you think about it. Like, yeah, true, these true. are pretty, like, pretty tenuous, you know, colonies that depended upon the indigenous people around them. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, you know, they couldn't have survived without it. Right. So it's well, kind of amazing. I think maybe Linoge introduced them to the, the other indigenous people. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Linoge is really good at his job. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I want to ask well, later. Oh, I want to talk about what his job is. <laughs> That's literally what I wanted to ask. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll get to that in a little bit. I just want to say, oh, okay. though, I think like the thing that is not mysterious is like, is the scrawling of. Croatoan, because I think that was essentially like, well, yeah. that's where we were gonna go, but then perhaps right. that didn't work out. And yeah. so the real mystery is like, where did they go? But the thing is, I don't, I don't know how much that information was readily available when King was writing this or whatever. So I think like the myth has become bigger than oh, whatever sure. reality. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's more fun. And I will say, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by the Roanoke story, and um, and there's actually a uh, theater troupe that d- they're like, it's like a theater uh, group that does stuff um, in that area called the Lost Colony. And I had a lot of friends who used to go do stuff there. And I would be like, tell me what Croatoan means. Um, so, of course, they didn't because all they did was have sex and do plays. So, which wow, is sounds cool. awful. I know. Um, so, I. Born in sin, come on in. <laughs> Born in lust, oh, turn I would us. also like to talk about those couplets. Actually. Yeah, we will. We will. I So. I guess a few questions while we're in this section Um, and before we kind of move on and talk about the characters a little bit, I guess like, do we believe that there was an opportunity for these characters? Because I guess like just to finish my synopsis, where it all builds to is that um, Linoge wants a predecessor. He wants someone he can train to take over for him. Uh, somebody who to can do well, not, what? Not we a, don't know. Yeah, but. not a not a predecessor. I mean, a successor. <laughs> he wants a successor. Somebody who can take over for him uh, for his job, and that's who he is there to recruit. And it ends up being the child. Sorry, I have an ambulance flying by my apartment right now. Um, uh, let's check on the old lady. I know, street. right? Like uh, it's. I think uh, Mr. Linoge is, is haunting my area. So, um, so yeah, he basically wants a child. He he eventually 
after a town vote where they say, let's give him a child and he'll go away and leave us alone. They agree to that. Uh, the child of Tim Daly. We'll talk about him shortly. Uh, the actor Tim the Daly actor? playing himself in this. <laughs> Very interesting move. Uh, I, was like, really child, I was like, oh, no wonder he had a hard time. No, no, no. <laughs> he plays the iconic character Michael Anderson um, in this. So we'll talk more about him. But yeah, he uh, anyways, uh, he takes him away at the end. And then everybody's kind of left with this sense of regret. Like, could we have could we have banded together and stopped this guy? And I guess that's my question. Do you guys feel like it was as hopeless as it seemed? Or what is there the sensation that um, perhaps they could have, if they had banded together, uh, overcome Mr. Linoche? That's not the choice. The choice is, are we willing to die? Yeah, that's but, the choice. well, that's the choice. But Here, like I, what, what Michael argues is, well, maybe if we all band together and say no. I, I actually think, no, 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 I'm good, sorry. But like, I, I really feel what he's saying is like, you have to be ready to die. Oh, see, I didn't pick like, up on that because we—they don't know. He, I mean, he admits like there may be some way, right? But in fact, like if I was him, I mean, if I was him, I don't know. But like again, the story of Roanoke is that's a colony that disappeared. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think I—they made the choice to keep their children rather than to sacrifice one to keep their children and die supposedly right in the, sure. in the, in the mytho mythos of this story that would have been the word so if they didn't agree yeah that would have been and you could say are we willing to do that are we willing to die with clean consciences or well, do we want to live having done this terrible thing yes but here's my thing yeah. I, I i believed that he had all the power to do that but then at the very end when he's leaving with with the child and I forgot. Uh, Mike's wife says, "You're you've you, tricked us. You tricked us." And yeah. he does say, "Or maybe you tricked yourself." So that does leave a little doubt as to well, whether or not he two... could have gone through with all that, or could have been able to to kill everybody well, in the in the fashion he threatened to. And there's two things here: is that we're relying on Linoge to be a reliable narrator, mm -hmm. and that who knows if he had anything to do with Roanoke? Like, <laughs> who, who knows? True. He he's saying that. Also. <laughs> When he tries to have Cat's uh, boyfriend yeah. kill Cat, he doesn't do it. Yep. And he calls him a coward. But I think that he had the willpower to not listen to Linoge's influence. So That's good point. I think it's possible they could have gotten away, but they were just too scared and that no. he's I mean, also that's what I like about the hopelessness of this thing. It's just He's also a lot like, older and weaker than he used to be. Which mm -hmm. is something that he emphasizes. Uh, but no, the the scene with Katrina and Billy, I think, is really important in that Billy is actually able to resist uh, that moment. And I saw this online. I didn't listen to the entire commentary because it was way too long. But I did try to watch that scene because I saw somebody write online saying, no, King said, watch that scene with Katrina and Billy. And that's really important. But he doesn't say that during the commentary from oh. my gathering. So I don't know where he said that because I looked. But um but I think that is something that is notable is that there is one character who was able to resist his influence. And of course it was a big strapping young male. So but, I, you know what? I think within the logic of the movie, we're not actually given much evidence that he that would be able to survive. And yes. I really do think that the, the moral dilemma he's setting up is which, which is better, like a, a, a dirty life or a clean death. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know? Yeah. And I I like I, I, so I guess there's really like the, the <laughs> argument from Mike, Mike Anderson is like, we might be able to beat him, but that's like not 
Yeah, I had to be like, which do you want? The, the argument you should make is like, are you? Can you live with yourself if we do this? Well, I think that goes you back know. to the, what you were saying earlier: is why didn't he just tell them immediately what he wanted? I think <laughs> yeah, the yeah, point yeah. Is, is that he wanted to show <laughs> explicitly, slowly, what he was capable of doing to yes. so many people in so many different ways, right? Whether it's yes. murdering straight up, having them murder somebody else, or having them kill themselves. But that's right. also you know? why I think it's possible that they could have not, you know, like overpowered him because. Why does he have to do that whole slow game to show his power when, when he could have just at the at the drop of a hat like just be like all right you're dead you're dead you're dead and I'm I can kill everybody here give me this boy well, it has to be willing or has to be just willing take the willingly taken remember he has to be willing yeah it has to be willing sacrifice it's it's but that's also a strange thing in this because the father is it's not willing he abstains. So yeah, but how is that? But the whole town, he said, the whole town has I, to. He, but he, so he to uh, me, he, I think it, they fooled themselves. He abstained though, and I, admit, yeah, I, I think, think that's I'm, a huge piece of the dialogue. He doesn't say one neg or one negate. He says, "I abstain from voting," which means it doesn't go on the record. So everybody else says, "Yay." I, I did find I it hilarious. Know. I don't think it was more of like rules a, of order to decide like, the fate <laughs> of a child. But hey, small towns, um, you know. I, I do. It, we're getting way into this already, but like, oh, I, like it. I this agree is good. that his, I wrote down in one of my things I wrote in my notes was like, why are malicious, uh, omnipotent beings always only semi omnipotent? Because like, there are clearly some like flaws in like how he operates, right? Like yeah. apparently he has to have eye contact with the person to mm. make them kill themselves. Apparently he has to mine like why? Why does he need? To I don't mine? think he has to have eye contact though, because the old woman who drowned <laughs> well, herself. He does, well, he does mind, but he, the miming thing really. Let's talk about the miming thing. Like, sure. well, I think that he is when he's uh, semi like possessing the people. He he's doing it. He's the one doing it. Right. Like, so why don't they just handcuff the him time. to keep him from miming? I don't think they realize what the hell's going on. I don't think anybody <laughs> well, wants to go in there. Yeah, you know? at that point, they're, they're not thinking floating, this guy's got to be killing people. In this... Because then it wouldn't be as on. interesting. <laughs> I know, and also it would be shorter. I agree. I was kind of like, like I, just, I just think it's interesting, like, the places where apparently his powers don't extend. Right? Oh, sure. But I like, will say this. Uh, I think that kind of tracks with a lot of King villains, which is that yes. if there's one thing that King villains do that I appreciate is that there's rules, right? Like his right. villains are usually, they act a lot more powerful than they actually are. And they're usually undone by more like, uh, what sort I'm looking for? Um, like logistic or infrastructural or like, um, like, uh, uh, systemic sort of things that are wrong with whatever with whatever larger evil they're com they're uh, aligned with it's usually like there is a breakdown within that order that usually weakens them and I that will say yeah what, what i like about this adaptation and kind of go back to what anna said about why is this so strong when he can't really adapt his own works in the past um i appreciate the fact that for once we don't spend a lot of time inside the antagonist's head as he breaks down. Yeah. We yes. get that we get that too much in the stand with Randall Flagg. We get that too much in the dark half. I mean, th those aren't the only two examples, but those are the two examples I can think of off the top of my head. The only moment that feels like he is going to fail is with is it Billy, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That's the only moment. Now he may be panicking inwardly, but I, I think it's far more scary. And this makes the whole four hour thing more intense is thinking that he always has the upper hand and he could very well win this. 
not not in other novels by Stephen King where you're like, well, you know, it looks like Pennywise is winding down here or Randall Flagg really seems to be coming apart. He's probably going to lose. I never got any of that in this in this uh, miniseries. Yeah. Hey, that's why I think in the in the world of this miniseries, we're not supposed, like the idea that they could defeat him isn't an option yeah. like we as an audience should sure. be considering. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the what what King is setting up is this really terrible choice, this yeah. hopeless choice. Yep. Right. Yep. To, to for us to argue like could they have beat him? Well, uh, I mean, I, number one, I don't think there is actual information in the plot or dialogue or whatever that shows us how that would happen. Yeah. Um, and number two, that's not what we're supposed to be exploring here. Like we're supposed yeah, to be exploring I mean, this dreadful, dreadful choice. But the way they yeah. could beat him is if they all just like punched him at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you know, I, mean, I saw I saw a movie recently uh, called the Care Bear movie. Oh, I've seen Care Bear movies. The Care Bear stare. But I no, I, I agree with you. I think the first time I watched this, I I, I didn't think at all. I thought they were it was hopeless. I, you know, I think now yeah. we're like really getting nitty gritty, yes. like really dissecting yes. it. Oh, I but love it. But yeah. I do think that was yeah. kind of the point. But I, but I think it's an interesting idea to play around with. I do like that line that Justin mentioned at the end when he's like, maybe you fooled yourselves. Whether they did or not, they're all still fucked. <laughs> oh, what they fucked. could have fooled themselves with is to thinking they could live with themselves having done this. That's well, a see, great, yeah, great yeah, point. True, I, that's true. a great yeah. point. Because that's what I was going to bring up wow. was I just was didn't think of that. Like the question, Anna, that Ooh, I and Jesus. I think you just answered it, but I guess I just wanted <laughs> to throw it out, which is, Ooh. which is, uh, like, <sighs> what is it that drives them? Makes them so miserable, you know, in the years after then, if like if they feel like they could have made a different choice. Was it simply to just all go down with the ship or was it, you know, I guess that's like why I say, are we supposed to consider the idea that they could have overcome him? Is that the thing that they're all killing themselves over or, or no. yeah. Or is it just, the no, I think, I mean, when that, you think yeah. about, I mean, none of us are parents, so I guess maybe this is not, I don't think any of us are parents, but oh, I've got um, four kids. Yeah. <laughs> But I probably I, I have know, a kid. I'm kidding. I don't. King I don't. is King is really interested in, in that bond, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and what people will do for their children and what children will do for their parents and all that. Um, and I think that's something I've been thinking about um, myself, uh, and just thinking about my mom um, and what parents will do for their kids. And there is a a, a horror to the idea of like outliving your children. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. that is the thing you, you you people write about all the time. And I think none of them take into account the idea that pain like doesn't just sit with the actual parent. I think a great you deal know? has to just do with good old survivor's guilt as well. Yeah. You know? That's just, another shorter way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I think it was important and I'm happy that they show that, you know, Hatch I'm not happy that this happened, obviously, but you know, Hatch and Mike's wife ended up marrying. I think it was important to show that not ev not all 200 people killed themselves. You know, I mean that would have been far more unbelievable. I like the fact that there were still these little stories, and I'm sure people have just survived in the years since, but are still absolutely devastated of whether or not they displayed or not. Their lives are ruined because of this. It was just a total yeah. lose lose situation. You know. That's yeah, I'll say a, I tend to really guy. enjoy King epilogues. Um, and I actually really like this one. I feel like he does a nice job sort of, of, of tying little knots on a lot of, or little bows on Mm -hmm. a lot of the smaller stories. Like I kind of love like that we saw, uh, you know, that smaller character, uh, Jack Carver, like, um, who had, who had, you know, 
like Lanoge had basically pointed out, oh, you basically are closeted and you beat up this gay guy. And um, yeah. sorry, hate that. That's a favorite king trope. That's like, oh, it is. It's definitely a king homosexual trope. panic assault. And like, it's dairy. Maybe that was, um, I was going to say, maybe it was a it connection from 1985. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but I kind of, but I do like how, though that they kind of do close sort of the, the circle on that where you kind of see it's like, oh, he split from his wife and then he, you know, because I think that's the thing is once the secrets come to light, then uh you know like you can't shove them back down again and uh and that to me was an interesting sort of thematic moment where we actually saw that this guy like killed himself and left all of his money to this person that he assaulted um and basically made him lose his eye and uh and i think that's one of the things i really like about just the general epilogue here and kind of how much of a bummer it is i think i was really i think i was aligned with critics and when i first watched it and being like god damn this made me feel like shit when this was over because it was so hopeless but now i think i really enjoy that just because it it raises more interesting moral questions. And like when he's basically just saying, he's like, you know, in the middle of the night, I ask myself, uh, should I, you know, should I, should I tell my wife about like, that I think I saw our kid in San Francisco, like with, with Lanoge, like, should I reopen this wound or should we live together in the collective delusion that he actually just wandered out in the snow and that's how we lost him. And, uh, because I, I know Hatch has that one line where he's like, if it's my daughter, we'll convince ourselves it's crib death. And we'll just convince ourselves of that as the years go on. And that'll be the way that we justify what happened. And um, and so I but I love that he kind of ends it by saying in the daylight, I know I can't really uh, reopen these these wounds. Like I have to sort of continue to live within the lies that I tell myself. And that to me is like extremely a bummer. But it also tracks, I think, with the story. And it makes me, I think feel something on a deeper level than I would have if, you know, they had punched uh, Linoj in the heart and beat Or him. Mike Mike defeated him with a magic trick. <laughs> with the, a magic or, trick, or yeah. exactly, said, yeah. I'm not afraid yeah. of you or something like that. A you bouquet know? of flowers. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't make a distinction between um, what Mike says at the end about whether or not he should tell his wife that he saw his son and yeah. then the lies we tell ourselves. Mm. Because I was looking for a recovery connection in this. Um, and I actually, I, I found one, and not just because I was looking, I think it's true, is that, you know, a big part of recovery is to um, do an inventory of your faults and the wrongs that you've committed. Um, and one saying we have is like secrets keep you um, sick. Mm-hmm. And I feel like something that you get in a lot of King stories is it's not, it is the keeping a secret that sickens you, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not the act itself which can be forgiven or not forgiven, or you can be called into account or you can make amends. It's, it's not having shared it. It's, and that's true with all of these secrets these people have, right? It's mm-hmm. the shame that they feel that, that's so terrible. I don't know if I'm quite making a distinction, but I think him choosing not to talk to his wife isn't like a secret or a lie they're telling themselves. It's just like, I'm not going to bother I don't want to reopen the wound. Yeah. And I think we're aligned sort of in that, but I like that shade you're bringing to it. And it reminds me of a line I thought was really effective, which is when Lanoche says to Mike, he says, you don't like knowing this stuff, do you? You know? And Mike is essentially just like, no, because you ignore all the good things. And Lanoche is like, Mm -hmm. there are no good things. (laughs) He's like, the bad always always always. Right. And that made me think of, there was sort of a, made me, sort of you know uh go back to that same idea of recovery because the inventory that you're supposed to do is of good and bad yeah and and it's a really important part (laughs) is to like look at the good stuff too 
right? Um, and that is how we are able to live with some of the bad. I yeah. mean, and we, we see ourselves as a sum total. Um, and also we can only begin to forgive ourselves or forgive other people if things are out in the open. Yeah. I also want to point out that Mike having cheated on a single whatever biology class in college <laughs> pretty low stakes. I know. Like, that's but that's all the notes to come up with, you know. That's all the notes I know. <laughs> I was almost I was wishing like cuz I think they said something just like, "Oh Mike, it's not like you've got your own it's not like you don't yeah. have your own things or whatever. You're not perfect. And he's like, I'm not. And it's like, no, but his worst <laughs> sin is fucking cheating on a test. Matt, did you say it's the yeah. biggest see, Matt, No, yeah. I, I can see Linoj like, like looking into Mike, like, like, I'm going to get, get this guy. I'm going to get this dude. And then he like starts talking. He's like looking around, like people looking at me, like, remember cool. when you cheated on that test <laughs> once? <laughs> Oh yeah, I really. And like, he goes that walk down like, the center like, of the this is town all hall, I got. <laughs> and he's like, "Kane, uh, Constable Anderson, maybe you should go back and see if you really got an A <laughs> on that test." I've well, seen it, the way your wife looks at that degree on the wall. I don't know if you really. <laughs> what if she knew the truth? I mean, you went How to you school. You went to school for engineering, but now you're. But you didn't really use that degree. Well, it's. A, I just watched Flatliners, the 1990s movie, for the first time. And it reminds me of just how, like, these people get to go, like, spend time in the afterlife and come back. And what they come back with is, is like, oh, the worst thing I ever did is haunting me still. And it was making fun of a kid on the playground in, like, 1980. <laughs> one or whatever and i'm just kind of like really like that's the worst thing that's the thing that haunts you in death come on like anyways uh so let's i have one other question in this section before we we talk about the characters a little bit more uh one of the recurring refrains in this is in this world you have to pay as you go this is a cash and carry world uh what do you think sort of king was getting at with this recurring motif uh, like, what did you take from those those lines? That's what begins and ends the movie in in uh, Mike's narration. I mean, um, it's far be it for me to say that King might have um, not been exactly on the mark with this one, <laughs> but I feel like one of the things that you get from this movie is how you continue to pay over time. Yeah, for yeah. the mistakes that you make, it's not pay as you go. It's oh, I thought I paid X price. But really, it's a lot, it's much more dear than that. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, yes, he repeats that a few times. Yeah. Also repeated is that's what hell is all about. Repetition. Yeah. It's mm. an interesting, I don't know if that actually is a theme. Right. <laughs> I felt the same line. way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I don't know. I think there is this idea of paying for sure but it's the pay as you go and cash and carry that i'm not sure that's actually what i get from the plot of the movie or the the mm. miniseries i mean the message i get is you think you're paying one price but right. the price is actually a lot more than that right or it's like yeah, I guess because I've been turning this over in my head as well, because I felt like I didn't like, you know, it didn't click for me in the way that I think some, you know, King recurring thematic motifs yeah. do. I like kind of was like, sometimes death is better. Yeah, exactly. Like, OK, I get it. Yeah, that's like a really like that's that's one of the reasons yeah. I love Pet Cemeteries because everything is like a jigsaw puzzle and it really comes together in a beautiful way. And mm -hmm. I, a lot of times mm -hmm. I love stuff that doesn't come together like it's a really sloppy puzzle. But I kind of hate it, though, when I feel like I'm being told. 
like this is the theme within narration and then I'm not really getting what you're going after. I guess like when I was turning it over in my head, I guess it was, you know, I was thinking about it as uh, do with what do what you can with what you have when the time to pay arises. You know what I mean? I, you, uh... I think it's just wrong. <laughs> I, I think, think you're working Anderson too hard. Missed the you're boat. working way too hard. I think maybe, yeah. you know, I think they all missed the boat and I think that he doesn't even get it still, you know what I mean? Like, so Yeah, they're like, Steve, like, great the, story. What are you trying to say here? Even the end when he says, I thought I learned that lesson and he sees his kid, that's a whole nother, you didn't pay as you go. That's mm-hmm. exa- the, the exact, the thing that you're showing us with this example is that you did not finish paying actually. Yeah. Like, here because you saw your kid and that's like the right? worst of it all right maybe yeah yeah i think so, we, we need king to we'll get him on clarify. the pod what, what do you what do you mean by call. that is that yeah. take on a different meaning in maine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe you well, know honestly maybe it is who knows it perhaps is uh on that note let's pivot over to another section we call heroes and villains i'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown So here in Heroes and Villains, we talk about the characters and obviously there's like 75 speaking characters in this. So I think we'll just kind of go around and be like, who do we want to talk about a little bit? Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. 75 was what King said in the commentary uh, when he did it, which is one of the things I like about it, because I feel like we have a really interesting and you know, he's not able to flesh out every character, obviously, but in that inst- in those moments, he kind of draws upon archetypes a lot to sort of allow allow that aspect of it to fill it out. I mean, I think about the priest character, you know, like not a well-drawn character, but we understand kind of what his vibe is. And then we learn what his sin is, which is, uh, you know, shockingly on brand, especially for yeah, the era. Uh, yeah yeah so wait what, what was it again uh, uh well that he like wants to molest his, girls. yeah wants to yeah. like molest his oh, nieces oh that's right i mean yeah. it's pretty much never mind we don't get to get to that that's <laughs> no, like a timeless yeah. uh thing unfortunately but i guess we've talked I, a little bit about Lenoge. um or what were you going to say anna is there a character you want to talk about well i was going to say i mean the the things that i kind of have to look past in order to see what is we've all agreed like basically a really good series um are some we can call them king tropes or we can call them like king crutches or king cliches um and king one cliches of them is, with a with a k instead of the c. yeah king <laughs> cliches with a k that That's should good. be a new section um <laughs> king, yeah. yes hashtag king cliches we can also include it in every show um he really hates real estate agents i guess like <laughs> he does <laughs> he Something hates real estate agents and preachers those are like his big like yeah those aren't often main characters they're usually just like minor villains yeah. like just assholes you know and so you have robbie mm-hmm. i mean the town manager whatever who's also a real estate agent who also was with a prostitute with his, when his mom died um he is like a lot of king minor villains the the townspeople villains mm-hmm. like he's so broad i mean yeah. come on like like there's no redeeming quality to this guy whatsoever. He does the wrong thing in every situation. <laughs> um, and that makes it an economical character, you know? Um, and it's, he's well-played. Again, I think the acting is pretty uniformly great. Yeah. Especially considering sort of yeah. the, the 
size of the you know uh, canvas they're working with. Um, but uh, Ursula, the woman who plays Ursula, she's such a great character actress. Yeah, yeah Becky I want to talk about that too because I, I think the great yeah. thing about this is that the only name really at the time was Tim Daly. Yeah, yeah, who was on Wings. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Tim Daly was offered The Shining first. Oh, really? Man, and I wonder King, how that would have gone. King must have loved Wings, man. Yeah, big Wings fan. It's like, if you can't commit <laughs> The Wings. And I heard the third option was Crystal Bernard. <laughs> Thomas, Hayden, funny. Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. There is yeah. a line in there about Hutch or someone is asking him to do something, and he says something about, well, unless you see Superman hanging out in the alley. And Tim Daly from 96 to through 2000 was voicing Superman. And oh, I have to feel like that was a nod. That was like a little joke. Here, here's my my mild defense of the Robbie Beals character. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like you said, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a King crutch, but he reminded me of kind of your, your Jim Rennie. Not yeah. as evil, obviously. Um, even like a lesser, Oh my God, I'm, I'm blanking. Like right Buster now. Keaton. Buster. Like, Ke- yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Ford, what Ford, Ford. things. Yeah. Or that kind the of a character, right? Where he's, just, he's the guy too, right? you want to just, you know, he'll just yep. keep derailing things if they're on track. Right. He's that character. And I think Jeffrey Dimon, if it was somebody else, it could have easily gone very wrong. If it was no shots, if it was the actor who played Ferd, I don't know how well that role would have gone. Do you remember that guy's Ferd great, though. Yeah, yeah, because I've seen him in a million movies. I have, but I don't know if he, he kind of, you know what, let's save it for Nightmares and Dreamscapes with my Ferd <laughs> thoughts. You yeah. got it. Okay. I, oh, I meant to say um, the real estate agent in Salem's Lot. That's the other. Um, yes. I know who you're yeah. right. Bad guy real estate agent. You're right. Um, yeah, I mean, too. yes, I mean, he was that that character saved by the acting, you know, um, and also there's also lots of nice touches with all of them. Right. Mm. Um, and he does. Yeah, his reactions, I think, are what saved the Robbie character, like yeah. when when he's forced into like some some interesting situations, as I say, I don't know why I'm trying not to spoil things like everyone. Well, Jeffrey, De- <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey Demon, who plays that character is great. He's he's a king veteran. I mean, he's in uh, Shawshank Redemption. He's in The Mist. He's in uh, Green Mile. He's in well, he's in all the Darabonts pretty much. And then yeah. uh, and I feel like he's done a few other kings, too. He's he's very much embedded in that world. And uh, and. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I agree o- overall because we have like Julianne Nicholson who plays Katrina Withers. Oh, she's so this good. She's the first excellent. thing I ever saw her in. This, yeah. She's yeah. so, she's, she's great. Uh, Kathleen, yeah, Kathleen Shefflant who plays Joanne. I can't remember like exactly the character, but she's, she's great. She was on, at the same time that this was airing, she was in the play Wit, which was extremely popular oh, wow. at the time and was winning, was on Broadway and she was, uh, believe up for many Tonys. And then Emma Thompson uh, played that for HBO, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you know, Kath- Kathleen, Kathleen Shefflin, Sh- I believe, uh, created the role like initially. Wow. And then okay. um, she, yeah, she was in. Uh, I couldn't remember where I saw her from. I'm pretty sure that's the mother from the affair, Justin. I think it's it uh, is. Mm-hmm. It's, it it's is. The yeah. Mother yeah. The okay. Yeah. Yeah. Showtime's yeah. yeah. The affair. She's. And you've yeah, got the great Casey Zamasco from uh, Stand by Me. He played yep. one of the bullies, but he also is the 3D glasses guy from Back to the Future, which one of my favorite characters uh, in all of cinema, I think him and Billy Zane. And uh, yeah, so this whole cast is, is pretty excellent. There there's character, great character as top, top to bottom. The guy who plays Jack Carver as, or Ray Carver, I can't remember his name, but he's uh, he's excellent. He was in LA confidential and a lot of other really great movies. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I felt like uniformly, and you've mentioned this on it, like the acting really elevates this because I feel like every time we're, 
were watching um, a King mini series, there's usually like a kid that really undoes everything. <laughs> and I think the kid who plays Ralphie, it's a small enough part. Fantastic in this. Yeah, either. they were fine, but they were small. Oh, parts, I gotta you know? say, but the, I felt the kid who plays Ralphie though was was he was brought in to be extremely sweet, so you feel extremely devastated <laughs> at the end. You know, yeah. I, he's he's listen. Let's be fair. He's better than the kid from the previous King adaptation in '97. <laughs> yeah, Mead but I gotta say, one of the worst I, performances when, ever. When when I was mapping this out, I had I actually had everybody from the town as heroes, and I only had Linoj as a villain. <laughs> That's how bad that's how bad oh, he is in this. He's evil. But I will say I agree with you on the kids. Usually that's the undoing. And there's there's one scene where I died. I broke down laughing on the floor. Is when the when Donnie Beals, the little little Donnie Beals yeah. says, Doggy, yeah. <laughs> that kid was hilarious. Well, that whole doggy uh, scene. Cracking like, up he, at that scene. That kid was I, in a ton the of fact movies keep at the showing. time. Yeah. I think he's yeah. Abigail Breslin's uh who was in Little Miss Sunshine and she still acts a lot. Uh, I think that's her brother. His name's oh. um Spencer Breslin, and he was in the Cat in the Hat movie with Mike Myers. Oh, yeah. you're right. And, and the the, wow. the kid with uh is he the kid that I, punches him in the balls and then the cat and hat's on the swing, like smiling <laughs> as a reaction? <laughs> I would yeah. assume so. It's famous, uh, famous gif out there, I believe. And who is, um, so the woman that played Cat, I, I just want to say since we're talking about heroes and villains, um, mm-hmm. I did think that she got rehabilitated real quick. I was going to say, her I have some questions. <laughs> I have some questions about Cat. Great that was literally in Julia my Nicholson. notes. Like, I'm like, like wow, they they're... seem to be like, okay, she's better now. Yeah. Like, here, watch the kids. Watch the kids. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> literally, she's boyfriend. fine now. Dolores Claiborne style. <laughs> you know, like, forgive everybody. And we'll, well talk about Dolores they... we'll talk about that. in King's Dominion. Well, though. she kind of goes, when she goes catatonic, pun intended, does, doesn't, they can't find the cane. Did, does she cop to it or did they just think that she found the body out there? No, I think they all know she. No, they pretty much, I think they, 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 they know that she did. Yeah, they know she did. Because they talk about putting her in jail. Yeah. yeah. Well, y- y'all are surprised at the end when they they are like, "Yeah, take the kid." <laughs> yeah. We don't care about these kids. Yeah, apparently, that's the first clue. I I didn't. Of course, I did. The last time I saw the movie was whatever twenty years ago. Um. So when there's that moment where she kind of wakes up from her catatonia again, as it were, um, and she kind of shakes herself out of it, and they're singing "I'm a Little Teapot," which I guess maybe sidebar "I'm a Little Teapot" for later. Um, yeah, I have thoughts. Right. Uh, yeah, I've thought about that too. I was like, "Oh, creepy! They're gonna let her watch the kids, and who knows what's gonna happen, right?" Like, <laughs> yeah. But no, she just she just she babysits just, the kids. The kids <laughs> saved her soul. They brought her back to normality. Oh boy. Um, Good point. I had that in my notes too. Like, well, I'll save that, I guess, a little bit, but that's pretty much what I was going to say. I think this is a good area. Well, I'll just say there's some theories that Linoge's name is a corruption of the French word for snow, which is la niege. Uh, and, um, and then this note that I was reading says Stephen King's characters often have French or French derived last names since his, uh, favorite setting Maine has a large number of inhabitants who are descended from French immigrants, which I think makes sense when you think of characters like Teddy Duchamp. Um, so it's, I thought that was interesting, but also some people have said, you know, there's the Legion connection, which to me, I don't know. I think the whole... I think that that's something, and maybe I I talked about this during our stand episode, like the Stan miniseries, um, 
not miniseries, the Stan TV series, CBS All Access uh, version, uh, I talked about the idea that I think a lot of King villains perhaps align themselves with figures from Christian mythology in terms of demonic mythology, because I think it helps like they think it helps boost their sort of uh, their villainy sort of in the eyes of their of of their the people they're oppressing. So the Legion right. thing, I think, is kind of a shorthand for King in terms of making his villains like aligning them very subtly with, you know, biblical demonic figures. Um, but I never <laughs> fully buy that. Like these characters little... are really demonic. That's a, a theme you see. Sorry. No, yeah. I was just gonna say that's a theme you see a lot with any kind of evil played out. Like, with the exorcist, right? Like it poses itself as the devil, yeah. but it's, it's actually this demon, lesser demon Pazuzu. Pazuzu. <laughs> like, I mean, I feel like they always pretend like they are these things because that is going to scare the hell out of people more. If they're, like, if they're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm, um, um, Zazafraz, <laughs> uh, the, the great, you know, you haven't, you heard of me. Are you scared? Champa. <laughs> I don't <really> care. <laughs> Maybe I'll be like the psychologist at the end of the movie who's an outsider. I think in this instance, though, I think it is indeed good old Legion. Yeah, but Legion I think it just is. Means... I don't think it's like, because, like, you know, we think like Randall Flagg's the devil and he's not the devil. Exactly. I think that he is indeed the biblical evil. Sure. That is, I, I don't think he's well, playing he's... a part. I don't think he's okay, pulling one over anybody. Here's my problem with this demon that may or may not be legion is that we don't really know what he does but he wants a successor so he's not immortal he says right he wants it he wants tired, think, he wants right? an intern <laughs> like this the demon who needs an intern because he's not gonna live forever and he wants to pass on his job okay what's his job i know i was like i was right what does about he say, do besides is... go away and steal kids does i it, think like, his that's idea evil i'm gonna tell I... you stealing kids is evil that's bad but on his day job, like, what's he doing? I think he's the, pre when, when people say the presence of evil, I think that's the idea. That there's just evil out there in the world. Well, I, I and think I think that's, that's, that's true that's of a lot of... That's rolling my eyes at you, because, like, what's the presence of evil? Like, what well, does that even fucking mean? Like, evil is out like, there. Like, evil is everywhere. Bad things should, happen Okay, everywhere. sure, but evil everywhere. It's like, the, it's like a mist. Okay, fine. But what does it make you do? Does it, it like, does evil... Does it your keys or stub your toe? <laughs> well, no. I mean, think about it. It does all the things that he does, he has people do. Right. You know, uh, but he has does all that in the service of stealing kids. So, fine. If he's a kid stealer, that's terrible. <laughs> But he, but, but he that's clearly not doesn't his... steal kids a lot because he right. needs this kid to do it. Exactly. Well, okay. Yeah. There's a bit. So what is he doing with his evil? There's a bit in the Needful Things I'm sorry, movie. I'm just like, it's no, just, no, no, no. Just, this, my, this, just this, his, just his being in the world as the idea of evil means that anywhere <laughs> in the world, people are. I think it's just like that broad of an expression. This is what I got from it. I didn't get this. Must be some specific. But oh, he's going around he, San Francisco, no, touching people, and they're killing do, somebody. Like, I, don't, I don't think it's that yes, minimal. Yes, that's a I, problem. Like we have demons who do shit, right? Who make people behave badly or do whatever. I'm actually just kind of making fun of the movie, right? That if they maybe inquired a little further about what the little Ralphie was going to be doing with his life, and it turns out this guy's main job is like creating snow angels. Like, <laughs> well, I don't know. I did read there like, is a cut I mean, scene. There is a like, cut scene at the end. What are you going to be end. teaching Ralph, Ralphie to do? And he's well, like, well, mainly. We we grant you know five year old wishes, <laughs> like. <laughs> okay, what is what is the cut scene? I like Mac? not really knowing, and I guess on my end, like I just. Well, I'm glad I they cut know. this because at the end, like when they turned that corner initially, mm -hmm. it was just going to be they're they're working at a grocery store. <laughs> 
No, okay. Um, let me they, they let me did, jump in. They were they overcharging. They were overcharging. Let me jump in here. I the funny thing is, steal socks from the dryer. I think this is. I think this is what like I think a lot of King villains. uh King loves to have them be sort of a vortex of evil. And again, the right. question is, what does that mean? And the funny thing is the Needful Things movie, which in our review of it, we we make several jokes about this, is there is a scene where Ed Harris goes in the basement of Leland Gaunt's Needful Things store and he finds all these old newspapers and the newspapers that he finds ostensibly within how they're framed in the film are like, well, Leland's response responsible for all of this and one of them is like world war ii nazis <laughs> so it's like, so have you tried yeah. zigzagging the symbol yes you know, so like... i think that i think that that's sort of the implication is that whatever these characters represent they exist to sow chaos and to turn people against each other which yeah. i know is not a satisfying thing but the reason it comes up on and the reason i agree with you when you bring up this question is because because Lenoge literally has a line where he says i want to train him and teach him yes! everything i know about yes! what i do and it's like yes! what do you do sir that's not for us to know he doesn't have to tell anybody here are the I mean, levers I pulled to sow discord and like, war. When you look in the dark and wonder what is there, that is where I <laughs> well, am. You know, I mean, I, like, when, you know, like, well, you, when well, the funny people, thing left, upon leaving, problem, like, oh, upon leaving, he's like, upon leaving, he's like, maybe, hold on, Mac. He's like, maybe you tricked yourselves. And there's a beat and he turns back around and goes, by the way, why I'm doing this is written and I left it under the podium <laughs> under where Robbie Beals is cowering. I'll be seeing you later. <laughs> Come, Robbie. We're going to Europe to start a war. Like, I don't know. Like, he causes shipwrecks. I mean, it doesn't have to, you would only have to imply it, right? You did say that, though. Like, (laughs) the next time you see a shipwreck, that's where I'll be. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where your son will be, Mike Anderson. I think Linoge says that Ralphie is going to live long, see far, and know much, right? Yeah. Cool. Maybe he's going uh, to Hogwarts. Cool. I'm he's like, can I be Linoge's uh, uh, apprentice? No. Um, <laughs> but also when they mention when Tim Daly, because he's playing himself in this, as we've established earlier, <laughs> mentions that he says, our name is Legion for we are many. So I, I even mm. if he is Legion, I just think that he's just one of many demons. He's just, he's just a demon. Now, granted, we don't know exactly what he does. Maybe what he does is fuck around with people for thousands of years and then steal, steal a protege and then ends up transferring his demonhood to that kid to continue on for, and, and because, you know, when he keeps showing his true form, he still looks human. He's just really, really old. Like the body is, is just falling apart. So I think that that is the transference. I don't think that Ralphie's in there anymore. I think that he becomes that boy. Yeah, but they show the two of them though. Yeah. Yeah, and because he I think, but I think he's still there. I think he's still alive. I, I don't think that you know, because then what happens to Ralphie? Does he just like Ralphie just become? He becomes the yeah. Next no, flyer. he trains. He says he says he trains him. He yeah. says that he teaches him. It doesn't say like I transfer to, I my soul you how to, uh, into his body. It <laughs> well, says like, like I want to. Why is he going to tell right? these people all this? He's not going to tell them that. They're not going to give him the kid if he says he's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're right. That's what made the difference. You're right. <laughs> but, but also, he's you know he's probably like like 
you know, Rafi, I can, if you, you know, stick with me for at least 10 years and I'll, I'll show you how to, uh, um, uh, fool people with cat teeth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll never know what's going on right. between the two of them. Maybe in the we screenplay it. it's revealed or something. Is I don't it? think well, it is. I, no, I, the screenplay is here. exactly what we see here. on the screen. Oh, nice. Uh, so let's, a few other things in, in the heroes and villains section that I think are interesting in the, uh, in the commentary King takes a little bit of a knock on Mr. Casey Zamasco. He says he's a great actor, but he says his accent, his main accent is a movie main accent. Whereas Jeffrey DeMunn has got it down pat. He says it's eerie how good his main accent is. So a little bit of shade towards Mr. Casey. Uh, I guess he didn't see Casey's great work in back to the future. So. Or maybe three o'clock mm. high. Oh yeah, three um, o'clock high. Good movie. I, I, here's a question for the three of you: of all the King projects, and I maybe maybe Dolores Claiborne is the, you know, the opponent here. Is this the most New England dialect that you have heard in any Stephen King? Oh, I think so. Production. Yeah. yeah. Well, just Gerber. What do you think? Um, <laughs> just, I just didn't realize calling people by their full names was like a thing that they did in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin Gerber, like, good to see yeah, you. Yeah, well, Justin I think, Gerber. I mean, come on, know. there's like 75 characters in this. I think they were like, we've got to drive these names home so people know who we're talking about. I swear about. I came on here. My first thing was going to be, oh, well, Randall Colbert, good to see you again. You know, we can make fun of the dialect, right? It's fine. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure. I, I, I do think that that's just because there really were a lot of people that there's like, I don't, they're like talking about Joanna. I'm like, wait, oh, who's Joanna? Oh, so. Yeah, you know they say, "Hey, you know, Michael Anderson, what are you doing?" You know, <laughs> yeah, like, it's very funny. I mean, I feel yeah, like I King. Know. I feel like I think one of the reasons Billy Summers was so refreshing is because King's kind of almost in like he's he almost gave up on having compelling at least main characters who were eccentric in some way uh, for a lot of his like latter day career. Like I just look at Michael Anderson, like his name is boring. The character is, is fine, but he's certainly not the most compelling character in the story, I which I say, think is true of many uh, King projects in the latter day, which is why I think Billy Summers was so cool because it really was a really interesting lead character. I thought Tim Daly was really good in the last episode though. Oh like, sure, bought, he was good, but he's bought it. he's still bought it. one of the least interesting characters in, in this. Oh, in this, oh, yeah, his, sure, sure. His sure. good, yeah. in his goodness, and this is one of the ways that the, I think, you know, King saves himself in this um, not being an adaptation is actually as much shit as I'm giving this, you know, show for not explaining stuff. Um, it is it does make it a better product oh totally because i was about to complain that we don't understand how and why it is that mike anderson's the only good person on the island <laughs> but he did you know cheat what? on a test and that's he did true. cheat on a test um but that's fine you know what an explanation probably would have ruined it he also clearly has some like he knows the bible really well oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah like, i'll say this and that's never explained either i don't think which well Probably I was kind of like, you know what, fine. Like, I'll just, say this. King, King says in his commentary, he goes, he goes, it's not that Mike is like a great hero or anything. It's just that he's right. That's like what, how King frames the character is that he doesn't believe him. I mean, obviously he does because his greatest sin was cheating on a test, but he, his whole yeah. thing is basically like, I don't see him as being above or better than any of the other characters, but he is the one who is right. And so King very much views it through that lens is that, you know, what, 
Michael, everything Mike Anderson says in this is to him, that was like the more, the correct moral choice. So how can you be the correct moral choice and not be better than other people? Well, sure. Yeah. You know, and also the whole cheating on the test thing being his biggest sin. I mean, you're telegraphing, like he is in fact, like the moral arbiter for this, you know, should be the moral beacon lighthouse you might say he's very noble um, for this, well, i think in that you know, case though is that everybody throughout the entire miniseries kind of views him that way as well right they they seem to yeah. go to him with all their problems he seems to be the most liked person in town he's yep. also the town constable he's also very and handsome so again i think king he's a yeah. hunk he's listen he's a hunk but i think that mm-hmm. king does a good job in subverting the expectation that oh he's gonna galvanize everybody at the end yeah, yeah. and he completely goes against that cliche which I appreciate uh-huh. a lot. So I think yeah, that's, that's why the character works in the end because you see the desperation on his face. And as an audience member, you're like, I can't believe they're actually not going to listen to him. I can't believe this is actually going to happen. He reminds me uh, of... People uh, are bad. Yeah. People, he reminds people, me of the guy from Head of the Class at the end of the Stan miniseries when he's like, we got to stop this. Billy Connolly? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, we got to stop wait, wait, wait. this. And then King, uh, then uh, Flag like, like makes his lips go like locks his lips with a ball of energy. That guy was in the head of the class. I think so. Who was he? <laughs> I don't know. Which, which I don't remember. I think he was Howard Hesseman. Pri- I think he was the principal of the high school. Oh, Howard you know Hesseman. what? I, Randall, I think you're right. I know I'm right. I no, think wait, did you right. say man of the class or head of the head class? of the class? There's no such thing as man of the class, Mac. I thought you just <laughs> said that, right? No, well, that's why Google I was like, this. maybe you guys are getting confused with different movies. Man of the class um, was a college movie starring Jim Belushi. <laughs> 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 if you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No. Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Hey, welcome to Nightmares and Dreamscapes. This is the section where we talk about what we loved and what we hated. I and mean, we've touched on a lot of this stuff so far, but let's uh, each pick a po- each pick some sections that we really enjoyed about this. Um, if there's, I'll kick things off. Uh, I I love the way that, and this is a very King line where he takes sort of the where he takes the Bible or a section from the Bible and he kind of boils it down to sort of everyman language. And what I loved is when Mike Anderson's talking about the story of Job and he goes, "Oh, there's a part of Job they left out," and that's the part where Job says, "God, like you know, why did you choose me? Why did you punish me? Why did you? Uh, I'm a I'm a loyal servant of you." And and God essentially says, uh, "Well, Job, there's just something about you that pisses me off." <laughs> which bit. made me laugh it was so bit. hard and that to me was like yep. quintessential king humor where it was smart funny dark and uh irreverent in its own way and that to me was i because like i think one of the things i really value in horror is a sense of humor and this movie didn't have a ton of it we got a little bit of it but i but that was one moment where i i guffawed heartily and i enjoyed it so it was um literally irreverent i would add Mm. Um, uh, I, I liked that too. Um, I was going to say something real specific about that. Oh, uh, I, I liked the way that that, um, ties in with something that King sometimes uh, nods to, which is that, you know what, evil sometimes just fucking happens, right? Like you didn't do anything special to deserve this. It just is happening to you because evil is well, you know evil exists mm-hmm. apparently in the form of Lenoge out there lurking evil just evilness monsieur Existing. Lenoge 
Uh, Justin, yeah. what did it's you always, love? Always the French. <laughs> um, somebody mentioned this earlier, but I guess I'll lead up to this by saying, you know, it starts off he's really wisecracking. He's a real wisecracking mm-hmm. villain. And you're like, is this going to be four hours of just real smarmy <laughs> Linoge talking? But I made a note from the 50 minute part of part one until five minutes into part two, he doesn't say a word. Mm-hmm. And he's just sitting there looking, <clears throat> observing. And that's about, I think it's about 40 minutes straight of him being in, very much involved in the movie or in the miniseries and not having to say anything. And that is down to how great Comfiore is in that role. Yeah, I agree with that. he's able to command the screen without saying anything. Yeah, he's so really, really liked a lot. He's really the star of this. I mean, everybody's really good. I, I think this is a uniformly well-acted uh, story. But Comfiore fucking rules. And mm-hmm. it's funny because not only does he get to have this on his resume, but he also gets to be the director or the doctor who performed the face-off procedure in the movie Face-Off. Uh-huh. Right. is he i can't remember yes he is and uh i um, i just love i'm like what a distinct what a career uh that you get to say you did those two things mac what else uh i really loved the miniature work in this uh and when i say that i mean like when the boathouse is being like toy like to- i mean it, all that stuff looked re- like real like real footage yeah. of this like storm coming and yeah. i thought this is looks really good, and for the time at which it came out, I just that that has surprised me hugely. There's a lot of special effects with the cane that obviously are a little dated, but like that did not phase me at all. That the I really felt like we were in Little Tall Island or whatever. But um, and also I appreciated them casting Deborah Ferentino, who was in Earth Two with Clancy Brown. What is Earth 2? Uh, <laughs> oh, that was like a short-lived show. Is that the sequel to Earth? Short-lived show about oh, I these people yeah, in yeah, a yeah. colony on this on Earth 2. But Clancy Brown was the second lead. In, uh, Love in Clancy. A little, Love Deborah. She's an absolute fox. Too, actually. I wonder if Jeffrey DeMond talked to her about working with Clancy Brown because he'd work with Clancy Brown. <laughs> On Shawshank. Hey, yeah. there were plenty of Clancy, hell of a stories. guy, hell of a guy. And I, I also like that when you look up weirding stones, the Storm of the Century is the first thing that comes. Oh, up. really? Yeah, oh, good for this. Good for Storm of the Century. But is it something King just made up, or is it a real thing? I think it's a, I think it's a real thing. I just think that it's so popular. It was popularized by that again. I guess I don't know. Whatever. It's interesting to hear anything was popularized by Storm of the Century. I think it's Squid Game, Storm of the Century, and Stranger <laughs> Things are the three major pop culture items of the last 25 years. And I also really appreciated Comfiore disappearing into that, that fat suit. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, right. I, I love that bit. I, I, oh, Charles you mean the Carole. preacher. Yeah. Also the, I would, oh, and the TV yeah. and the reporter. I actually I, I love that stuff, too. Yeah. He's supposed to be like Charles Corralt, right? The old Sun- Sunday yeah. morning host, I think. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Confior played both the preacher and the TV reporter in the in the visions that they had. And I mm-hmm. I it, I it was something that I actually thought the makeup was quite good because I didn't I, know. I didn't pick up on mm-hmm. it until the latter end of Especially uh, the preacher the on TV. I did not know I did yeah. not know that was him at first. Yeah. yeah. And then some something else I thought really worked was the only time they really tell and don't show is when what's her name comes back from being abducted. Oh yeah. And she tells the story. Mm. And I felt like that's really effective until you then show him actually flying with the kids later. You yeah, know I mean? exactly. Like, I was yes. like, I was like, her story was more scary just seeing how affected she was by it. Well, you do get that one moment that you ha- of him dropping the guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was, but cool. I feel like, I just think that would have been more, 
that would have been a, a, a sequence where you're like, okay, it's too scary to even show us this. Like, well, we're only going to get this person's I, recollection of maybe. I just question like why why have him be flying with the kids at all? <laughs> like, that seems like an odd thing to have him be doing with them. Like, why not like be in the Candyland or something? Like, it's just it's just a funny. It to me is just like. I, I, I mean, I guess they're just reusing the trope from that woman's story, but... I think it's because if because she kind of shows them, right? I think it's the idea of them having to watch like one of their kids fall to their death or something like that. There's a lot of different ways you could watch a kid die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you're falling, falling a long way. Choking, you know, choking yeah. on uh, chocolate and Candyland. <laughs> I know like, I'm going to give little Ralphie you know. one more piece of chocolate. I know what you mean, Anna. I feel like he's doing that. I know what you mean, Anna, because there's like a Mr. Show sketch from a few years before that where... Yes. You know what I'm talking about? That looks ex- yes. exactly like uh, that yeah. moment from the that so i agree that was a little bit hokey but but mac what you're saying i totally agree like the idea of sort of a um vampiric like winged creature carrying someone is really spooky i think about the first vhs found footage movie like the you know with the um the vampiric woman who picks up the guy at the end and you're viewing it through his his lens and then carries him up in the sky and his glasses fall that's to me like a really excellent really spooky uh moment that we get and um, i agree that it was really creepy just hearing about that um i also think they probably didn't have the budget to render render it like in a really excellent way i think if they I tried to they show because i know really bad to try the, to show the like kids flying look bad um yeah and then i think another uh dreamscape for me was just that scene with billy and katrina where she confronts him mm-hmm. about him cheating on her and she and he confronts her about her getting an abortion and i think it was a really smart scene because i feel like they each had grievances that were um you know that were weighed equally to some degree and it was well acted the way that the interplay between the two the push and pull between the two i thought was it was just a to me a really well written scene especially when you had Lenoge sort of being this, you know, invisible uh, uh, tinkerer within the dynamics of that in terms of who was going to attack who. It was to me just a really like tight uh, two person little play right there that I thought was well acted and well drawn. And that had, you know, uh, Julianne Nicholson, who's gone on to great acclaim. And so great little scene. One of my favorites in the in the whole thing. So. Mine's, mine's kind of broader, but I think it just goes to strength once again of the cast. And I think having just a bunch of really, really reliable, not just character actors, but unknown character actors was very important here because you really just buy in pretty quickly that these people have known each other their entire lives. Yeah. As opposed to, I mean, far be it for me to fire shots at chapter two. But when, you know, <laughs> Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy and Bill Hader show up, it's like, oh, look, it's Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader and James McAvoy. Yeah. I'm never thinking these people grew up together. Yeah. So I think there's a real strength there. And I also think that the actor who plays Angela, who gives that monologue, is very good. And that could have also gone mm-hmm. very, very wrong. I agree. Again, like, it's just yeah. really, really well cast production. Uh, I don't... I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything in my dreamscape list that hasn't already been mentioned. Um, I've got a couple I nightmares, will say, <laughs> Oh, I have some nightmares, but I didn't, I didn't think we're starting on nightmares yet. We've already been over a few of my nightmares. We can, we can uh, bleed into think, nightmares. Okay. Um then I'll just say what I was going to say that's good, which is, again, I guess the miniature work and also, you know, as someone who lived in Minnesota for a long time, like that blizzard stuff seemed really blizzardy. Like mm-hmm. I did think to myself, like they must have filmed this like during like, a snowstorm because yeah. it feels cold. 
Yeah, from um, what I read, they it was a mix of real snow and then fake snow. And I can't I they had some now I have wrote down somewhere where the uh like what actually was the snow, but I can't find it. But it was uh yeah, it was they did film in like snowy environs. Although it's funny because when you watch it uh, when you watch it with the commentary, like King points out, I'm like, I think Casey Zamasco's head at one point, you can see some of the fake snow, like kind of gathering there. But he's like, but I swear we did film in real snow too. So. <laughs> the, as far as uh, nightmares go, I mentioned a few of them, including, you know, what is Lenoge's, uh, what is, um, what did we call Lenoge? What is Lenoge's job? Uh, Lenoge. Mm. Um, I'm a little teapot. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> as your refrain of evil. Like, <laughs> I think in the years I mean, since, especially that whole children's nursery thing has really been amped up. So now it just really sticks out like a oh boy. Like, but I ashes, think ashes, we all fall down. Like Rainbow of the Rosies is like, oh, that's a fucking spooky song. Yeah, right. But like I'm a little, little teapot. teapot is not super spooky. Like it's, it's just, it's just annoying. <laughs> I agree. I think his job was coming up with those rhymes back in the day. <laughs> Born and lust? those rhymes. That is very de- oh demonic. Those yeah. rhymes. First of all, born in lust, turn to dust. Uh, born in sin, come on in. Lust is a sin, right? Like, isn't that the whole point? Yeah. Like, what is the distinction he's making here? No clue. I, I'm just, uh, yeah. Okay. Drove me and then crazy. what's the other one he does? He does another one that's like also a sin. Oh, so born in vice. Like, uh, it was born in something. Born in vice. Born in something, vice something, say it yeah. twice. So it say it twice. Yeah. Say it twice. It. He says. Yeah. Yeah, say it twice. What the fuck? Like, what is like? What are these supposed to be spooky? Like, they're not spooky. They're just weird. He might have been dumb. paraphrasing Sub Zero from the game Mortal Kombat, who said, uh, right. "Born in Vice, turned to ice." I'm just kidding. I made that up. That also would have been a better line. <laughs> the whole idea of the hell is repetition, I, I, and the fact that he keeps oh, saying go. these things yeah, over and is, over. I, that is like, hell. Someone shut this guy up. Yeah, the yeah, motif. I get the, it. The recurring motifs, like the the dialogue motifs to me did not work because they, I just wasn't getting larger truths from them. I was like, I don't mm-hmm. know what you're getting at with this. Like, and you keep fucking saying it. Like if the repetition uh, is, uh, repe- I kind of dug it when I first watched if, it. But if, if hell is repetition, then you're putting us in hell by just making us listen to these repetitions over and over again, which was perhaps the was the intent. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, Looks one good of, on a t-shirt. I'll it, say it, that. It's in, the, it's in our nightmare section. So it worked. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I've got something here. Uh, what is it? I, I, you know, I know people are in a panic in the movie and everything in the miniseries, but I do think, and I've seen this character actor before, but there's a lot of just, uh, <laughs> Lloyd, Lloyd, you gotta look at look at the storm. It's really coming. Oh, I, I, I also, oh god, just oh my lord, dial it down, Ferd, dial it down just a little bit. Fucking check and he does on the same thing like, later what do you on. Do the- oh my god, it, it hurt the oh. tension of that whole painting the the fire uh, truck scene. Um, how about, oh yeah, Ani mentioned it. I said, uh, leaving the kids with cat at the start of part three. <laughs> <laughs> like, <what the> hell? <laughs> um, okay. We, I can't believe none of us have addressed this yet. Mike going to the school and seeing the alphabet blocks and that's how he figured out Legion. Oh, I know. I that's that a was, little, that's a I little agree. Goofy. That's a little, those are my main, uh, nitpicks. I the guess. guy who played Ferd, his name's Adam Lefevre. Uh, very storied career. He's been in a million things. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, him. a lot of great stuff. Uh, but best known for his role in fool's gold starring Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. He played Gary. Oh, he was Gary. Yeah, he was. Can you believe it? He was also in Hitch. He played Speed. I have seen Hitch. He played Speed Dating Guy. Do you remember him? Oh, 
I we, we call them SD. But <laughs> it makes me want. SDG? I think we should. Uh, I think we should revisit these films and come back and talk about him again. <laughs> no, I will say I've seen that guy a million things. He's great, but I do agree he was a little bit, a little bit much here. Oh, um, now we're kind of that one scene with, with with he just when he just kept yelling the name over and over. Yes. Like I just has anyone ever done that? Have you ever yelled someone's name <laughs> like that many times? Bird. And Maybe that's first thing. You know, I don't know. It was like, you know, Ferd, he's always yelling people's names. Good Lord. Ferd and Gary. half an hour. Tell him to stop. He just won't take the hint. Something Um, else, in terms of me being a little mean spirited sometimes, I really (laughs) can't tell you. At the beginning, when the kids were making fun of Pippa being stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. I texted you. I said, I said, oh, okay, yeah, okay, good, 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 okay. Because I texted you. I said the kids making fun of her remind me of uh, Kindergarten Cop when they're like, yes. he's a, a cockapoo poo, you know? Like well, he's I a, think he's a poo poo head. Well, I think um, Robbie's kid is like comparing it to a monkey. He's like, ooh, it's just so <laughs> immature, you know? I just, I, I kind of laugh. Oh, dude, the kids that's, got some good material. The that's why good material. my parent, my friends who are parents oh, hate me because whenever their kids like make fart noises and stuff, I like love it and I'm uh, cracking up. Just, and they're like, please don't encourage my child. Uh, <laughs> it's the, uh, hey, you know, born in sin. Born in sin, come on in. Being stuck. Uh, yeah. Any other nightmares or dreamscapes before we move on? Cool. That's all I really got. Let's talk about, let's head into the cemetery and talk about what spooked us. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. Hello, welcome to the cemetery. Here in the cemetery, we talk about the things that sent a shiver up our spine. The number one for me uh, was easily had to be Robbie's mom, which I found mm-hmm. very spooky. But mm-hmm. it wasn't even the mom. I thought the woman who played her was great. But the the thing that got me was just the first description. Like when uh, when Lenoge and Robbie first met in the house where Lenoge killed the woman. And he said, she's waiting for you in hell and she's turned cannibal. When you get there, she's going to eat you alive. And then they kind of run the, I'm going to eat your eyeballs into the ground a little bit, like when she keeps saying it. But just that phrase. Hell is repetition. Yeah, hell is repetition. But just like the idea, though, like she's in hell and she's turned cannibal is to Mm. me like an extremely disquieting line. I really, really love that. That to me is like King sort of. And he's he's done that trick a lot over the years, you know, but uh, that to me was very, very effective and and definitely freaked me out. That's the first thing I've got on mine, too. Yeah. What else do you guys have? Um, Uh, There's a moment and I can't remember what comes before it or after that. The camera just turns back to Linoge sitting in the cell and he's just got a big grin on his face. Yeah. And there's no reason for it. And it's just really creepy. Uh, yeah. I, for me, I just wrote Andre Linoge in Cemetery because everything this guy does is just totally frightening. Uh, or just the, the random unexpectedness of like when he shows his teeth for the first time, yeah. mm-hmm. there's no point to doing it. And so he just kind of does it. And it's obviously just for like, the viewer or whatever, but like just weird stuff like that. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I would yeah. say the Linoge performance is really effective because when you think about a lot of King villains, especially in the shining miniseries, I think so many of the villains are undone because 
they can't stop wisecracking. And what I love, I love what you said, Justin, about the idea that, you know, Lanoge kind of begins that way a little bit by saying cheeky stuff, but then he really kind of turns inward and becomes very businesslike, especially in the last part of it, where he's like, okay, we're here to do a deal. And that to me, I think is incredibly effective. And I think what helps it elevate a little bit, and I love Jamie Sheridan in the original stand, but there's a few too many Rolling Stones references, you know what I mean? Like with that yeah. character, like, I think it's a little bit too uh, like winky and cheeky, although I do overall enjoy that performance. Whereas Confior here in this performance, I think, is much more restrained. And I think that's in the writing, too. But um, just definitely a very chilly performance was the phrase that I have. And I, I enjoyed that a lot. So. Yeah, I mean, on top think, of that, um, I just got that all at any time he would reveal people their, their their darkest secrets, not necessarily just the secrets, but the performance and the confidence and the kind of the confidence the smile yeah. behind it all. And the and the, the knowledge, like, if anybody's listening, you know, he's not lying about this. Yeah. Anna, what do you have? It's really unsettling. Um, I think I was impressed by how close they seem to come to showing gross stuff, but not showing. Like, I really felt like, oh my God, what am I going to see here? You know, like when that old woman is putting on her night cream, like, I guess I've yeah. seen enough horror films. Like, part of me is like, her face is going to melt. She it's going to be acid. Or it's going to like, <laughs> I mean, she winds up just, she winds up just, you know, drowning herself but like there was this sort of like tension to it almost because he's miming it too right um and then also when the guy splits his own head open with yeah. the axe i yeah. felt the tension there too and part of me was like oh my god what are we gonna see like what are they gonna show us here um and I, you know i know it's tv but the fact that my i had it on my radar i might cover my eyes you know <laughs> like i like that I, too i had to keep reminding myself like no they're not going to show you anything gross on it this is network television well, it's kind of like the first uh, restraint of it all worked i felt yes know? yeah because yes. apparently and, and yet, they... at the same time i kept forgetting that they couldn't show it to me <laughs> yeah well, I'm, I'm serious though because like it, because they built it up the tension so well oh, right that I was like, oh my God, is this going to be the time that I, whatever, see terrible something terrible? Yeah, they shot, apparently from what I was reading, they shot more explicit gore sequences, especially for the axe uh, suicide, but, you know, they couldn't show them, obviously. But, you know, I think, the like you said, Justin, I think the restraint actually works here. Mac, anything that uh, got under your skin? Um, Even though I knew this happened, it was one of the things that I, one of the only things that I really remembered correctly because I thought when I first, when I rewatched this, the entire time I was watching it, I thought that it was Hatch that killed himself. Mm. Mm. Oh, no. At, you know, later on because of what he did to Michael's boy, essentially. Um, so that was a misremembrance. But I will say the, the, when they find, when Sandy goes out in the boat. Mm. That's what I got. And mm. they find the boat and it says Croton on it. And even though I remembered that, it it kind of the way that they shoot that scene it just gave me chills yeah. and I, I it's just kind of like none of these people survived well the investigators if, went even, out there and they even, said isn't that the place where all the people safely <laughs> went from uh like, from Rona? oh she just went to, she just went to that island <laughs> um <laughs> amazing uh any other cemetery any other bits that freaked you out i think the whole epilogue really works well i, I knew you mentioned that a while ago but that so often King gets dinged for endings, sometimes justifiably so, but I really love the ending of this. I agree. Yeah. From, from, from all the way to the discovery of his son. And that's just so, like I said, I wrote here grim, period. <laughs> that really sums it up. Like I said, just refreshingly grim. 
compared to a lot of stuff we get today. Cool. Uh, well, next is pound cake, but we had discussed beforehand. There's not a lot of pound cake here, but we had we had stumbled upon two. Anna, you had mentioned one. Uh, what was the pound cake you had? There's an egregious kiss between Michael Anderson and Molly at some point. <laughs> I think that they see each other or he's about to leave and they just have like a lingering kiss, which I don't know happens. Right. Sure. Uh, so, okay. In, in those and situations, then, maybe. <laughs> sure. I mean, it does seem a little weird in this situation, like to do like a long lingering kiss, like while you're in the middle of a snow emergency. But then again, you know, hey, um, then at the, in the epilogue, uh, Molly's therapist says, so it's been five. So how long has it been since you've had sex with your husband? <laughs> Real delicately. Too. I know. I just, I think what I liked about that was the idea that like they had discussed this before and she was yeah. bringing it up. She's just like, what, what's like every week? See, that's actually the thing. That's the thing. Like, yeah. Do you whatever? Like, I don't, I've been in therapy for a long time. I've never had a therapist lead. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> also, when you think about it, when she's asking her that question, it hasn't been that long since the thing happened right it was only like so many months like a couple months like five months five months yeah well yeah because they say the last time they they slept also it's pound cake but it's really pound cake because she says the last yeah because they said the last time they had sex was before the storm and we all know i mean king's characters get it on a lot yeah they bang like three times his husband and wife you know (laughs) fares like when you think about though it's amazing that they somehow did not have sex i feel like you know i feel like in the novel they would have had sex oh yeah like in in the mist novella yeah there's sex going on at the supermarket for god's sakes you know what i mean so um, you know i feel like the novel definitely would have had some the mist is my favorite because it's literally just a random woman he meets at the grocery store and then the monsters have been around for like six hours and the woman's like you know your wife's dead let's fuck yeah Yeah, exactly it's just it's hilarious all right not in the Uh, movie yeah (laughs) well that's not a ton of pound cake in this one uh although it would have been fun to get a linoge sex scene um you know would a lot of fun with, with the cane, with the cane. Oh, yeah, God. with the cane. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. Let's Look pop- a doggy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's pop over to a little section we call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Here in King's Dominion, we talk about the larger connections to the King universe. Uh, I think the first and foremost one is we get a King cameo here. He plays a lawyer on TV uh, who's playing on the TV after the TV has been busted. You can see him sort of through the the shattered glass of the TV that the TV still playing. That's the power of Stephen King cameos is they can uh, light up. Uh, broken televisions apparently yeah, this that's footage, the reason yeah, apparently <laughs> this footage is used again in kingdom hospital i was reading so uh hmm. but yeah it's oh. always fun and it's funny because i was watching the commentary and king doesn't even comment on his own cameo he's busy talking about other stuff and i was like yeah tell us a little bit of the background here he says no thanks uh other bits of king um king's dominion that we saw in this what do you guys got you, you mentioned little tile island where Dolores Claiborne. It doesn't home delivery. Isn't that the zombie one? Doesn't that take place at Little Tall Island too? I thought maybe, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, there's no way to ever know. <laughs> no way to ever know. Um, I'm revisiting that again. Yeah. I've got some great. Uh, oh man, I got a really good one here. It's annoying. Uh, pushers get pushed. Mike says to Robbie's kid, "Pushers get pushed." Um, the drawing of the three. Oh, oh the pusher. The interesting. Pusher. That's a good one. Uh, how about at the very end, if you look closely, when Mike chases down Linoge and his son in San Francisco, 
Over his corner, there's a store called Bargain Bazaar, the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. These are room 237. This one will blow your mind, I swear to you. I did some research. There was an average of 19.17 million households that watched per night. Uh, 19. Am I right? <laughs> How many? Wow. But get ready for this. This is really creepy. How many households were in the United States of America in 1999? 19 again. 19? Mm. <laughs> Not just 19, 19 households. Ha- no. 19 households? It yeah. says here there were a, average, like, however they work out, it's like 103.87 households in the United States in 1999. If you add those digits together, it's 19. <laughs> huh? I'm sure they were, they, I'm sure they were in on that. It. I love it. 103.87. Uh, 1 got, plus 3 plus 8 plus 7. Thank you very much. I've These got are a few. 3, 1, 2. 3, 2, 1. Um, it takes place in Maine. <laughs> oh, my God. Holy shit. You're right. Is that why they talk like that? Um, I did like that the info commercial that Stephen King's doing is called Punishments of God Part 2. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, uh, they mention uh, someone, a uh, cat, having gone up to Derry to have the abortion. Yep. Yes. And Pennywise did it. One, the only yeah. one, other one I have is another it connection is that Joan Grayson or Della Bissonette, who played or whatever, plays Mrs. Kirsch in the new it film. Oh, that's a good I connection. Didn't, I didn't I realize didn't that. Recognize, but I saw that in the when we were doing the. I was doing some research, but I mean, did you guys did we mention the actual Dolores Claiborne reference? Robbie says just like Dolores Claiborne did to her husband. Yeah, they point, say, right? can we just like oh, overlook? Really? Yeah. yeah, they say, can we just like you know, they say something about can we just like overlook what happened or whatever? Like, like we, we do all... with Dolores Claiborne and her husband. Yeah, with her husband during the eclipse, and they even mm-hmm. mentioned that uh, yeah, on the nose. But, yeah. uh, at one point, Andre Lenoge lures Ralphie through a dark door. Reminded me of Room Two Three Seven in The Shining. Perhaps, mm-hmm. or Room 217. Wait, which one is it in the movie? I'm confusing. The movie's 237. The big yeah. one The big one I had was Sandy, the character, when she goes out in the boat, she's wearing a yellow slicker and red boots, and they make sure to to note that. So just like Georgie in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Julian Nicholson, who plays Kat, was in The Outsider. Oh, yeah, Another she Stephen was. King. She's, yeah, she's in The Outsider, so there you go. Good one. We're locking connections here. Huge missed opportunity with that online crossword puzzle. Uh, oh, God. Was, I paused it thinking there's got to be a King's Dominion in this. Nothing. Yeah, and there, there was, was nothing. nothing. Well, also, I remember th- that was just such a funny thing to have, right? Like when he's like, I love this program. I'll lend it to you. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like, what were we, <laughs> how bored were we in 1989? You know? Solitaire, <laughs> baby. I mean, Man. Yeah. I'm still playing but, like Spider-Man ugh. on my, you know, Tandy computer. <laughs> left up, up, left up. Uh, the only other one I had was Billy Soames, perhaps related to Doc Soames in Shoyo, Kansas, uh, from The Stand. There's a lot of Soames in King's works. I, I make this connection all the time. I feel like so, that's like Smith everywhere else. Yeah, Soames exactly. <laughs> uh, a few other bits, just some bits of trivia that I noticed on IMDb. Uh, again, didn't didn't fact check these. But, uh, oh, here we go. How were these? Were they written well, at least? Uh, no, <laughs> Good grammar? they're always written horribly. No, I only have two here. The cane that Andre Lenoge has is the same one that Stu Redman used in The Stand, 1994. I don't know if I believe this one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that. I believe that <laughs> At all. So was the doggy was the doggy head supposed to be the it was dog Cucho. stand? Or was it supposed to be the dog, the dog actually 
actually did look like Cujo. <laughs> I did look like Cujo. I didn't think. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, the Cujo The book that Cat reads to the children, the little puppy, was a favorite of Danny Torrance in The Shining. So. Oh. That one seems so specific. I feel like I have to believe that one. I isn't, that, okay. isn't that the book that Tom read to Stu when he was battling that flu at the end of the stand? It might have been. <laughs> I just remember them watching Rambo or whatever. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. Uh, I think that's it for King's Dominion. I think it's time for our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. Here in Final Thoughts, we share our final thoughts in our, with Pennywise Clono's rankings and an MVP of Storm of the Century. Mac, let's kick it off with you. What is your bright red Pennywise Clono's ranking of Storm of the Century and who is your MVP? I'm going to give this four bright red Pennywise clown noses. Uh, I felt like it really held up. You know, there's like little things you kind of have to take with it and it being, you know, a 99 property. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, I just felt like it's still really unnerving and scary. Justin mentioned to me, I'm sorry, I'm stealing your thunder. There's that sequence when Michael Anderson's going and walking around the house, taking pictures. There's just a patience to this that you just don't see with anything today. And I really appreciated that. Um, as well as just the the slow burn. I, the first review I saw online when I looked at, when I was looking this up was someone complaining about how slow and boring it was, and that it just get to the point. And I and I absolutely disagree. I think that's the, that is all the good stuff, you know. And um, at somehow King pulled it out, and the ending as well. Uh, I'm surprised that I like the ending. And uh, when King usually has a hard time sticking that, I thought he did a really good job with this one. Um, but for me, I thought it was like really entertaining. I went in watch, going to watch the first part, the first hour and 20 minutes. I ended up watching three hours straight because I was just engrossed in it again. And uh, that says a lot. Will I be revisiting anytime soon? I don't know. I don't know if I was ever going to revisit it. The first one left such an impression on me. I was so, you know, just bummed out. You were saying, Randall. Um, but uh, I'm glad I did. And yeah, so for uh, Bright Red Pennywise Clown Noses. MVP? MVP? Uh, it's got to be little Donnie Beals. <laughs> doggy, yeah. You literally uh, stole no, what I was going to do. No, MVP, you're, no, you're stuck, I mean, with, no, you're stuck with Donnie. That's the I'm one you stuck did. with Donnie? Yeah. Okay, I'll take Donnie. I'll take Donnie. Anna, what is your Bright Red Pennywise Clown Nose ranking and your MVP? Um. I'll go with four. It, it 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 really holds up. Although there is the question of whether or not I'll ever go back to it again. Um, I did just have a thought though about we were talking about the alternate endings um, for if the town had rallied, and one of them, you know, is the magic trick. Yeah. yeah. Um, them just saying they're not scared. Also, Mike Anderson having to have sex with everyone. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Yes. Also. Yes. To inherit the goodness, the goodness. He gets so exhausted because there's 200 people. He's just like, I can't keep he's doing like, he's this. He's like, I'm still writing this orgy sequence. Like, no, why should the end without it? Because at the very end of the actual miniseries, there are a bunch of people on top of him. But in the alternate version, we just use that footage as the lead-in. So um, that makes me want to give Tim Daly my <laughs> playing himself. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Oh, I support Tim this. Daly, Tim Daly's performance as himself. Oh, <laughs> this is like a change.org petition. It's like <laughs> we want the Tim yeah. Daly. Wait, we us, demand. Give us the Daily cut. If you recut, so it's it's him. Daly Daly Island. 
is my MB- is my MVP. Well, I used to be an actor, but now I own a grocery store on Little Tall Island. Um, <laughs> but good news is I laid everybody. <laughs> Justo, little uh, little clown nose ranking and your little MVP. I want everybody to think. Look for me. I will always love the It miniseries and the Stand miniseries because of how I how much of an impression they made upon me as a young as a young boy and as somebody who loved those books specifically in Stephen King. But if we can maybe wipe away the nostalgia and and, and the experience we we had growing up with those, if you line up all the ABC miniseries from the nineties, mm. you could make the argument that this is actually the best of them. Oh yeah. I mean, could make the argument. Sorry. Like, no, I, yeah. I mean, you could. I mean, again, I'm, I'm I love like the stand. It's, it's I love it. Argument. I love Pennywise and Tim Curry and everything, obviously. But if if you're just coming into it right now, having no familiarity with the material, you didn't grow up with it at all, I do think Storm of Century is pretty damn strong. Now, having said that, I don't think it's up to the standards of like a Misery, Dead Zone, Shining, Carry. Mm. So I can't go that high with my ring. But I would give it... I think it's good. I think it's just a good, solid miniseries that kept me in, involved for its what four hour runtime. And like Anna and Randall, I recently experienced with Desperation. <laughs> you know, that's not an easy task. <laughs> Mac, did you ever see Desperation? By the way. Oh yeah, I had to watch it when we covered it. Oh a long god. Time ago okay, so you don't talk about COS and I. So I think it's good. Brutal. I give it, it's a solid uh, three and a half out of five. Uh, bright red Pennywise clown noses, but I will give the full five to my boy Comfior. All joking nice. aside, great, great performance well, yeah. as the villain. He's awesome. Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna give it four Bright Road Pennywise Clown noses. I love this miniseries. I, I think I think the only reason it isn't perhaps better remembered and regarded is because it doesn't have the source material that mm-hmm. endures beyond it in the sense like, you know, the stand and it are books that continue to feel relevant. I think as time goes on and just by the nature of how enduring those texts are, I think the miniseries benefit and there's an iconography that associates with Tim Curry's portrayal, Jamie Sheridan's portrayal uh, that can, even though those portrayals are, are like, I think, I think Confior in this, his Linoge is up there in terms of, the quality of the performance and the terror of the villain. But, you know, the character doesn't have the same sort of uh, foothold in King's dominion. So mm-hmm. I think that's the only reason it's not perhaps better remembered or celebrated. Uh, but I think this is a really satisfying. Um, and I, I think in terms of King original screenplays, like probably my favorite because, you know, I think so. Yeah. Those, those can be hit or kind miss. Kind of a low bar. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I really like the Pet Cemetery. Yeah, take it where you can. Yeah. Like I love Pet Cemetery from 1989 and stuff, but it's, I think this is definitely a, and I, I like that it's original. I feel like. Hey, that, you, that want, you want a hot take. I don't, I don't care about original screenplays, even adapted screenplays. Yeah. I think this is probably his best screenplay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I love, look, I like Pet Cemetery, but there's definitely some issues with that screenplay too. Oh, 100% agree. And I don't think there's as many in this and it's what, three times longer? So, right, right. There you go. So yeah, I don't know. I lo- This has a lot of the stuff I love about King too. It has, you know, a big ensemble, a cool setting, a great villain, and an interesting moral dilemma, an interesting moral choice. So I, I'm a big fan of this. I think it's great. Must must watch. My MVP, um, I was going to say Donnie Beals, uh, Mr. Monkey, as you might say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I think I'm going to go 
ooh, ooh, ah, ah. I think I'm gonna go. <laughs> gonna so go mean. With, I know. I think I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Confior because he. I, I like how I said it. Like I was like, like oh, who, who is the best actor in this? You know? No, definitely yeah. gotta go with. I don't know. Two Confiors and Donnie Beals and Tim Daly. <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna go with Donnie Beals and Tim. Daly. Yeah, the real I, Tim Daly, not Michael Anderson. The real Tim Daly. Yeah, as Tim the Daly. real Tim Daly as Tim Daly, former Wings actor. Uh, I absolutely loved it. So. Yeah, great. This was fun. Really fun discussion. I, 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 I'm glad we revisited this. I hope our our listeners revisit this again. It's free on YouTube. You can find it pretty easily. It's King approved, so I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong. Uh, King himself tweeted out the link to the YouTube and said, "I want you guys to watch this," so he approves it. And um, yeah, this was a blast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We've got uh, big stuff on the way in November, so stay tuned to our socials for that. And uh, let's sign off with a long days and a pleasant, pleasant night. night. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you This is the end of our show. For now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.